0: Hey buddy, how's it going? Good, how are you doing? Yeah, pretty good. It's, it's uh, a little bit of sunshine out there today, which is nice to see in uh, in January in <laughs> coastal British Columbia as this land is currently
3: known. Beautiful BC. That's, that's, uh, let's do a quick one today so we can go sneak in a little 5K. What do you say? Should we? All right. That's always right. I'm always in for a little All sneaky, right. sneaky cheeky 5K. 5K day keeps the doctor away. That's what they
0: say. <laughs> right. they say that right we say that yeah it's a saying now because we have said it <laughs> multiple times over
3: 5k a day i mean that wouldn't that's so attainable
0: it is it really it's is like
3: 20 20 to 30 minutes of running a day
0: yeah i know like for some people that's that's almost unimaginable right but you just you start somewhere like yeah. even if it's like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna try like five minutes yeah five, a five minute run today or five minutes of you know, whatever it is like exercise or Zumba. Do people still do Zumba? I, don't I know. hope so. But like, there's so many, there's so many incremental ways that we can like challenge, but at the same time, like encourage ourselves. I think so often we try to like take on too much. Yes. And we end up just like beating ourselves up for like not making this lofty goal that we set. Totally. But rather than just being like, cause I mean the proof is in the pudding so many times over in terms of like what makes the difference. And it's simply consistency. Consistency. And like it does not have to be huge, huge efforts. Oh, yeah. Every time. It can be like the smallest thing, but just like that consistent streak of like I I packed my own lunch like every day this week instead of like buying lunch or, you know, whatever. Like I ate a salad to get more greens in, yes. you know, at lunch every day this week. Cause I'm just trying to like eat more plants. Shout out to Desiree. Eat more plants. That's <laughs> but like whatever it might be, whatever, yeah. whether it's a challenge, I'm a big challenge guy. Yeah. You know that I like a challenge. I like something that I don't know if it's the accountability or the community. Like there's other people doing it. Um, but if I like click, you know, a button on Instagram to say like, yeah, I'm yes. in or like respond to something or, whatever you know pay a nominal fee for some virtual event or whatever i just like that like it helps me stay stick with it yes but
3: uh do you know do you know my new challenges tell me tell me tell me inspired by uh the one and only akim pierre Ooh, love 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 it you know i do lots of cardio the cycling the running i don't i don't spend a lot working on the old upper body yeah you
0: wouldn't know it you
3: wouldn't know it by looking at you thanks dean so (laughs) um i'm like we were, I was talking with the key and he's like, "Just do some push-ups." He's like, "Start with mm. ten and work your way to a hundred. So, uh, and it doesn't have to be a hundred consecutively. He just means like a hundred in a day. Yeah, so, and he's like, "That'll make you feel strong and make you feel good, and it, like kind of works your core as well." So, yeah. I haven't done push-ups in like a year, yeah, maybe more. And I did ten push-ups today. That yes. was my start. There and you was go. I like, am just gonna do ten today. Yeah, and then I did ten, and I f- that was it. So I was like, good. tomorrow, maybe I'll do 11. Yeah. We'll go from there.
0: Well, I, I wonder, like, what would be if you just did one more each day? Oh, my gosh. Like, it'd amplify,
3: it'd be pretty quick. Can it'd you get to 30 pretty quick.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then, like, what, what, at what point would it be, like, okay, like, now it's a struggle. Right? Right. Like Would it be 40 or 50 but if you just like just did one more push up each day, yes, maybe you should try
3: it. Okay, I'm kind of interested. Maybe I should try it. 365 push ups. Here we go. Yeah, but it's it seems impossible until it isn't. There we go. I need like a T-shirt or a poster that says that. Do you remember when we grew up, there was like, it's like. I think we're like peak poster culture. Like oh, you yeah. went over to a friend's house oh and there, are like my room. You couldn't see a speck of paint on the yes. wall. It's just like poster to poster. Same. Like all my favorite athletes, my favorite like ins- bands, In- bands. Oh, like I had
0: two killer Bush X posters. One go. was just like, I, it was probably me and like all the other teenage girls that yeah. had it. But it was like a big one of Gavin Rossdale. Like oh, the nice. man. he's like a handsome dude. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, and then the other one was like the band, but I love the I love that kind of alternative grunge.
3: Yeah. And then a Nirvana poster. Anyway, go on, go yeah, on. You, yeah. were, you were saying yours. Yeah, I don't even know where I was going there, but uh yeah, posters oh, mo- like uh, motivational quotes. Like yes. some of them were like, you know, I had to make a Michael Jordan one with like a quote of like you can't uh, oh, you never man. miss like the shots you don't take or whatever. Yeah, like yeah. we need we need to Bring get your, your it's not a, it's impossible until until it's not with a poster of you like running or something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if that would be... Like, I picture it as like a body break, you know, like that, like... Hal Johnson. Hal Johnson style. style. Yes.
0: Bring it back. I know, well, I mean, I guess now we have like memes, like we just share. Memes, yeah. And But there isn't a lot of... I know, I remember like, I remember the scholastic book fairs. Oh my gosh. And then you could like buy posters there yes. too, right? And it was sometimes some of those or athletes or whatever it would be. Those was, book fairs were
3: the best couple days of the year, every year in elementary school, my mom would give me like 10 bucks and I could buy whatever book I wanted. Yeah. And you always had to save
0: money for like the erasers, the cool erasers. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Or the big one. Remember this is, this eraser
3: (laughs) is for big mistakes. It was like the
0: the oversized, so it didn't fit your pencil
3: box, but you like needed it. I can like smell the smell of like new books, you know?
0: Honestly, so good. I still get, so I got like my, my girls are in elementary school. I still get excited. They don't do the whole book fair thing now where they yeah. like bring it to the school. You just like get the little flyer and order it. But man, I still get excited like looking through the flyer cuz it has not changed since like we were wow. kids.
3: It's like the same paper. Like you it's like what a business that, model huh? Hey? I know. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> it's like <laughs> blockbuster should have just been books, you know. Tell books you. haven't been like that's one thing like there's been e-readers and books. but yeah. like, you know, books are lasting the test of time yeah yeah there's still i think there'll always be something about a physical book
0: yeah i've i've i don't have one but i've read you don't have any books i don't have no (laughs) i don't read okay i have a disclosure statement i've Uh. never learned to read (laughs) no they uh i've like read books on my um what do you call it? like not not a Kindle, but it's like the like a just like a tablet. Yeah. Whatever the Android version of an iPad is. Yeah. One of those. And it like it's fine. Yeah. But it's not the same. Like I I remember physically, like in books where cool moments are. Whether it's yes. because I put a bookmark or something, but I'm like, oh I remember it's somewhere around this page yeah. and I'll flip through it and I'm a I'm an annotator. Like I write all over the books that I read. Yeah. So if you ever lend me a book, I'm sorry. <laughs> But yeah, it's just I don't know. And I know that you can annotate and underline and da 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 on yeah. like an e reader, but I feel like once it's just in the yeah. microchip of the device, it's out of my brain. Whereas I will physically look at my bookshelf and be like, Oh yeah, there's something in that book there yes. that is, you know, some information that I want for this conversation or this presentation or learning or teaching that I'm giving. Like Yes.
3: And yeah. I like that a book's not an electronical device. Yeah, like I like that it's a break from a tablet or an iPhone or a computer. Yeah. So I want those, personally, I want those experiences to be like separate. Yeah. And I do like, there is gratification to see as you get through a book, like, you know, you're a quarter way and halfway in three quarters. Oh, you've got like, yeah. you know, 20 pages left or whatever. Totally. Like, yeah. There we go. Books we are got good. posters. I'm thinking about all the posters I had on the wall. Mm. I'd yeah. be like so proud to show my friends the posters I had when they oh. come over because I thought they were all so cool. I'd be like, Tommy's going to be impressed by my new poster when he comes and hangs out, you know? Oh, yeah,
0: yeah. And then like the, the satisfaction of like putting it up and it's nice and straight. And yeah. The edges are all flat against the like. It's just, ooh,
3: that was a good moment did you ever go to the rock shop in vancouver do you remember that yeah place? oh yeah for all, sure all i the got ba- all the band shirts
0: yep on gramble right yeah yeah i got lots of band tees from there i got uh what did i get i had a nirvana nirvana shirt from there just like the classic kind of like goofy smiley face one a bush a bush yeah. x as they were known in canada because some other band was called bush but yeah one of their t-shirts who else did i have I oh mean, I think I had a Dr. Dre shirt from there. Nice. I was big into the band shirts. Yeah, I wish that I kept them, you know? I gave them away.
3: But but I like collector's items now, too. I like know. I was looking at Green Day shirts on eBay. They're, They're like... Me. Like, some Green Day shirts are like $1,000 now.
0: Yeah. The one band shirt that I've hung on to, I've like... I cut the sleeves off and sometimes I go running in it because you can still run in cotton. Of course. It's a cotton shirt. The one that I kept, I got it... Uh, I got it in Los Angeles. Oh, man. I don't even remember. Like maybe 10 or 12 years ago from a little like, it was basically the rock shop, but down in LA. Yeah. Um, And it was uh, Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. And it's it's got uh, Angela Davis. Yeah. Like a picture of her on the front. It's just, it's a great shirt. That's cool. Yeah. So I still wear that one. Love the
3: rage. Oh yeah. Anyway. Okay. I got a quote for today. Yeah. Uh, This is from uh, Tim Ferriss's Five Bullet Friday. If Mm. you don't subscribe, shout out to Tim. Um, I love getting them on Friday. They're just like kind of like five little points from his week, uh, podcasts, recipes, YouTube videos, just things he'd enjoy during the week. Maybe eventually we should do something like that. Okay. Here's the quote. Destroying a rainforest for economic gain is like burning a Renaissance painting to cook a meal. Uh, it's EO Wilson. Who uh, said that I don't know who E.O. Wilson is but uh, let's see E.O. Wilson Edward Osborne Wilson was an American biologist naturalist and writer Um, spent a lot of time he was nicknamed the Ant Man because he spent a lot of time studying ants oh interesting Uh, let me read that one more time destroying destroying rainforest for economic gain is like burning a renaissance painting to cook a meal oh yeah That kind of just speaks straight to the truth of the matter.
0: You know what? uh, There's two words that come to mind when I hear that quote. Instant gratification. Yeah. Right? And that it's like, without any thought of the cost of that gratification. Yes. Just like, what I want now, regardless of the implications or the effect of that. Yes. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it's a good one, especially it's very timely as to, you know, how how our relationship with the rainforest here in BC and and globally. Um, and even like, uh, you know, we were jamming, I think COVID's like a hot conversation for pretty much everybody these days. And I was talking to a friend today and uh, he was just talking about how, like, you know, he just uh, is getting over having COVID and he was talking about how Ultimately, like it's um, for, for his 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 thoughts were that uh, COVID is ultimately like a result of our human relationship to the planet for the last mm. you know two thousand plus years of mistreating the planet, right? And this things like this are a direct result of of our mistreatment of the planet, the animals, uh, and our relationship. Um, you know, holistically to to the whole kind of global ecosystem, mm-hmm. And I was like, "That's a good perspective." And he's like, "This is just the the price we're we're paying for for being out of touch to our relationship to the bigger ecosystem. Mm. Um, and I think uh, it kind of speaks to our our disconnect. yeah, we like to point fingers, and there's been lots of division and uh separation of you know you're this or you're that and we can't talk to each other but if we united over the fact that we are all here having a human existence on planet earth and you know we've taken some you know we've made some collective choices that haven't served us or our planet yeah uh mostly you know through under the lens of capitalistic greed or our war or, seeing ourselves above the rest of, uh, you know, earth's, uh, inhabitants, mm-hmm. uh, it just kind of speaks to our imbalance and yeah. needing to reconnect and find balance again. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a bigger sim, you know, it speaks to a grander scale, but if we can kind of see things through that lens, maybe we can unite our differences and work together Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. there's so much blame that is emerged yes and it's interesting because we're all we're we're all implicated in it yeah and it's easy and maybe it feels good to blame someone else for the, the perils that we're facing and that's in some ways like human nature but if we're honest yes it's we're all we're all guilty and we've all participated in creating the world we're currently in yes yeah that's an interesting take because like it's that. easy to
3: point fingers, blame the government, blame pharma, blame mm-hmm. the the other. You yeah, know? totally. Blame yeah. anyone. And but I mean, ourselves. we've seen it.
0: We've seen it with with world leaders, right? Who yeah. Blame certain people or certain countries or ban or block yeah. people from certain countries because oh, this variant is here or we think it might have been, you know uh, come from here. Right? We had earlier in in 2020 and even in 2021, like a huge rise in uh, racism against. Yes. Asian people all across the globe because there was this thought that it was somehow their fault. Yes. And it's just so wrong headed because yeah, if you kind of step back and go, no, no, this is a problem that like the collective, we all of us have like participated in and created. And so, you know, it kind of points to the solution is like, we are all the solution if
3: we choose to be. Yeah. Uh, Imagine a world where we took collective responsibility and said to our neighbors, hey, how can we work together Yeah. versus this division and this pointing of fingers, Yeah. I mean, then we'd be living in possibility hmm. and we can move forward quickly with yeah. solutions and, and, yeah. and, you know, hope.
0: Yeah. Which is what we need at this time. Good dose of hope. I need my third. I need a third dose of hope. Maybe a fifth, <laughs> dose of fifth or sixth hope. dose. Doctor, give me that just hope. Keep giving me, just keep dosing me with hope. Okay. Yeah. I'm good. What are the side effects of hope? I'm hopeful. Give me them. I'm hopeful. Yeah, we need hope.
3: Speaking of living in purpose. Yeah. Uh, leading with curiosity, living with possibility. Mm-hmm. This week's guest, Scott Hawthorne. Scott Hawthorne, everybody. Yeah. CEO, co-founder of Native Shoes, right. am- amongst other things. Uh, Scott is just an inspiring human being, um, and he's one of those people that I think is actively, continually pursuing a life of betterment. When he knows better, he does better. Um, really leading with curiosity, wanting to be a student, mm-hmm. Um even though in many ways he is a teacher um yeah we we talked about a lot about curiosity and possibility and yeah purpose and all all sorts of uh you know impactful ways to live our day to day lives,
0: yeah, 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 and recognizing like we all have power uh in each moment to be in choice and to choose like something that matters, yes, right, and I mean just in terms of like his, his life and his impact, you can see, yeah, like the, the kind of like whenever LinkedIn, like professional side of things is very impressive for sure. But it's also the way that he like shows up in those spaces and creates space amongst his teams, as he was saying, and, you know, teaches and, and models is like, he's a student, like he's a learner and is open. And, uh, yeah, talks about, like, we jammed on fatherhood and all kinds of... This, this conversation went in a lot of cool directions and um, I think reflects just the the really unique person um, that Scott is and, and all of the ways he shows up uh, in, in, like, meaningful ways through, <laughs> in multiple spaces.
3: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, always in choice. I love that. All right, should we uh, let things roll? Let's do it. All right, Scott Hawthorne, everyone. We're here with a longtime friend... Longtime collaborator mm. Scott Hawthorne. Yeah, thanks. Scott,
1: good to have you. Good to have you here. Yeah. Yeah, it's great to be here. It's right great on. to be here. Back from the days of when you had the first juice truck. Yes. On the corner of Water and Abbott in Gastown. Yeah,
3: I remember those days fondly. Yeah. Come by for a wellness <laughs> shot quite often, yeah. and uh, stay for some conversation. And, uh, you know, as we were young, impressionable. You know, new to business at that point, I always remember that you'd like leave us with a couple nuggets, whether it was intentional or not. And we'd be like, oh, Scott said this. Like, let's, uh, let's jam on that for a while. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You were distilling wisdom in us <laughs> as, uh, as young businessmen. There
1: you go. Oh, wow. It's wild sometimes you leave that with people you don't realize you left something, right? Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. 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 it's We've fostered some of your... Mm-hmm. Some of the things that uh, you've shared with us have grown into trees over the years. So you go. thank you for that. Oh, well, it's the amazing.
0: Steel principle, right? Every every contact leaves a trace. We might not we might not see it. We might not know it, but those impressions are are left and made. And whether it's a positive or negative, then it uh, it has impact and can make waves, good or bad, and influence people to to make decisions for their own life, for their business, whatever it might be. So
1: yeah, it's me. I listen to Wade Davis sometimes, and and he'll he'll speak about he said he answers every email from a young person. Okay. because oh, that's cool. Because you can have an impact on everybody and, and you learn something from everybody. And he, he'll say that years later, he'll get an email from somebody and they'll say, Hey, I'm in South America. Like you said I should do. And he's like, <laughs> great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like just the impact that you can have and that you can learn something from everybody. Oh Absolutely. Right.
0: Everyone is your teacher.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: But anyway, I think yeah. we all, we all strive for like, how can I make the most impact? And I think we overlook the fact that like impacting people is how you make the most impact because that ripple effect goes out, right? If you can answer every email like this guy did or, or just be intentional with the conversations you have to try and build up, encourage, influence someone, then it's like that work is going to have way more uh, spread than if you're just head down, buried, doing what you're doing and not interested in lifting anyone else up with you, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, I think the, one of the biggest ways you can inspire others is, is, is you know live your truest life and be that as an example to others yeah right like you you don't have a direct impact on like the, when i came by the juice truck i got my shot in the morning i didn't you share with me now that 10 years later yeah there were some nuggets there that you guys took away and you talked about i had no idea that yeah right yeah yeah and that they were like you know left you could say i left seeds there with but i didn't even know i left them yeah just and, the and, farmer
3: uh, the gardener doing his work <laughs> scattering yeah, scattering like, the seed
1: Yeah, but I think we we all learn. Somebody think when you hear that thing, everyone can be your teacher. And I think when I was younger, people would look at that as like things you could pragmatically learn from somebody like math or science or something like that. And I think as you get older, you realize that in the presence of somebody else, what happens to you is what you observe. And that's the learning the other person gives you Mm. is that reflection if in the presence the other one if like if they make you angry or something like that like yes you sit there and think about that for a while yes wow i just got triggered i just got angry da, 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 da. where's the lesson what a, what, what a great teacher that person is yeah. for me yeah if you want to
3: take that lesson yeah right i think that's such a great perspective like whether it's a parent or someone you work with mm-hmm. like i have people that trigger me and, and i will stop and pause and be like why am I being triggered? And then once you start to like break that down, it kind of like frees you from that, liberates you from that, that cause or or whatnot. Mm. Gives you possibility to go beyond it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, you could walk down the street and have judgment on somebody that's homeless. Yes. And be unconscious about that. Right. And yeah. then one day you'll be like, Oh, I wonder how they got there. Mm. Right. Oh, wonder, they must have an interesting life. Wonder what that's like? For sure. Right. And you start shifting a little bit. Yeah. And then, then, then you see them as a teacher before mm-hmm. you, you, you put judgment on them, right? For so, sure.
3: Yeah. I me- I remember reading. I think this was coincided with when we launched the the mm. juice track, but reading a uh, Celestine prophecy. So uh, at the time, I, you know, part of it was like looking for lessons everywhere, and there's no coincidences. So I, I I think I felt like you know, I was looking for the lessons everywhere at the time too, and just mm. being like open to the idea of being a student, uh, whoever was willing to be a teacher. Um, and I think having that like student mindset allows you to like be humble and, and find lessons in all circumstances. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. uh, usually on our podcast, we kind of call it our, our podcast time machine and we hop, hop around from <laughs> beginning, middle to end. And we, we figured out time travel. Yes. <laughs> really? I think so. Storytelling. Yes, storytelling—the the, the truth, the true forced uh, travel time. Mm-hmm. But maybe we can uh, rewind things back a little bit to to growing up and what what that was like for you. Um, I know you were born in Yellowknife and you moved mm-hmm. around a lot as a kid, even spending some time in uh, the Philippines. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, a little island in the Philippines. Yeah, so maybe just uh, go back to that time. Let's go back to
3: that time. Like, what was young <laughs> Scott go. like? What was it like growing up?
1: Oh, yeah. I was born in Yellowknife. My parents met in Yellowknife because my mom grew up there and my dad came there as a young mining engineer. And then uh, we they had they got pregnant and they had me and they left shortly after that. And so for the first, you know, I don't know, the first, we li- we moved every three years to different mining communities because they're often in small towns, right? And so it was like Merritt, Houston, BC. Um, then we went to the Philippines for three years and yeah, really good memories of being in someone else's culture at that point in time.
3: Mm. How old were you when you were in the Philippines? Uh, I
1: was between five and eight years old.
3: Wow, okay. so that's a, that's a pretty impressionable time. Like, kind of a lot of our early memories are kind of like yeah. during that age.
1: Absolutely. I mean, they'll say the first five years is when you get the imprint on you, right? Yeah. I mean, but but I like for me, at five to eight was a memorable time. I struggled yeah. to have memories before that. Yeah. So, whereas my brother's a little bit younger than me, and yeah, he'll have his own experience that was there. But yeah, we—I was there five to eight. We came back to Canada, and we eventually moved from up north to um, um, North Van. Okay. and I went to grade ten there. Okay. Yeah.
3: And then you went to uh, UBC or SFU after that. All of them. Oh. I, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I went to I went to UBC right after high school, ah. and left at Christmas because I just was—I don't think I was mature enough for it at the time. And yeah. I just was, um, yeah, just I left it. Christmas. Both my parents are quite, you know, maths and science people, and, and yeah. went to university and had very good academic standing and stuff like that. And I think it was probably a little bit of a surprise for them at the time that, you know, that I was going to leave at Christmas time, and I. You know, the previous fall, I went to SFU, and yeah. I was there for a couple of semesters. My marks weren't very good, so I was asked to leave. Oh, no. So, so I went to Cap College, and My parents, and my, I remember my dad saying, look, you can't go back to high school. Because <laughs> <laughs> that would be the hierarchy for him in the Lower Mainland at the time, like yeah. you know, UBC, SFU, Cap College, yeah. which yeah. is now a university. <laughs> so I went, back to, I went to Cap College for a couple of semesters. My marks were great, and got back to SFU, and eventually graduated from there. So I like I joke that I cram four years into six. <laughs> you <know? laughs>
0: there you go, so. there
2: you go. Yeah, what, it
1: was I was I yeah that was a time where I was, um, you know, really, maybe a bit young for my age at that point in time, and still trying to figure things out. And I was yeah, the university wasn't my favorite time and stuff like that. The last couple of years, it kind of settled in once the class got a little bit smaller and yeah, it became a little bit more personable and stuff.
3: Yeah. Well, it's a funny time to become responsible because you get this freedom of you know, all of a sudden you can drink and you have like more responsibilities or more possibilities. And uh, it's hard to focus on, on school in some ways. Like,
1: uh, yeah, no, but this, this was like, I graduated high school in 85. So the eighties were, you take you back to that point in time. The eighties were, you know, you think about music, Bruce Springsteen, David Bowie, Madonna was coming up then. Yeah. Um, And then you also had AIDS. AIDS epidemic was, was the 1980s. So, you know the 60s you had sexual liberation that lasted into the 70s the 80s came along and it was aids and everyone was freaking out because you didn't know you know are you going to die or you're not going to die and yeah the church got a hold of that of you know yeah and everything and so you had a real sort of pullback in the student experience of liberalism yes hmm. and stuff like that and then you know I got graduated in 91 and then didn't feel like sticking around Vancouver I felt like I ended up getting a BA in geography and I really liked the world and traveling and other cultures and experiencing things. And when I graduated in 91, I wanted to go travel for a year in Southeast Asia. And I ended up choosing to do that. But I stopped in Japan and ended up, the, you know, I was going to be there for a couple months. It turned into 10 years. Oh, wow. So, so where, okay, yeah. I
3: want to, I want to kind of stick on Japan for a bit, but where did you travel through Southeast Asia before then? Because that was kind of, you know, travel wasn't what it is now obviously yeah. at that time period there was no instagram there was no um you know the experience was different you'd talk to different backpackers and find out where they went uh, i don't know like was there lonely planets at that yeah point?
1: lonely planet was the main thing at that time. that was right? kind of
3: how you would kind of navigate your your backpacking path right so what was southeast yeah. asia like at that that time at
1: that time well i had memories of the friendly memories of of southeast asia because we lived in the philippines for three years when i was a kid and then we did a family holiday japan once and we did malaysia indonesia singapore and then we did australia new zealand another year oh that's cool Cool. so the 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 area was a sort of happy friendly memory of me of mine so to go back and spend some time there was was i was something i was really looking forward to and but yeah, it would, b- at that point in time, the early '90s, was you know, there was no internet. There wasn't really any email. So you know, when you go away, your Lonely Planet was a the guide. There's cell like long distance phone calls were expensive. Yeah, but, right. You had no cell phone. No. So when you went there, you really it was much more of a disconnected experience than yes. it probably would be today. Be more off the grid. Better or worse, it. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Something I remember like
3: reading the book The Beach. Did you ever read that one?
1: No, I didn't. That's when they made the DiCaprio was the yeah, yeah, there, right. That's kind of Kobe what I like and stuff like that.
3: Imagine. I mean, we did our big backpacking trip uh, pre-juice track before like the social media boom mm. too. But I just like that book, The Beach, is kind of what I like. Project travel was like mm. um, before the internet, just like mm. the possibilities of adventure, fairly limitless. Yeah. yeah,
1: and I think in Southeast Asia, you got. A mix of North Americans, Aussies, Kiwis, and Europeans Yeah. from the Western travelers there, and then some, you know, Israelis and yes, other oh. groups and stuff like that. And then you know, students within Asia would travel as well.
3: Have you gone back to any of those spots that you backpacked through? Since? Oh, I've
1: been to not in a while. Like, I mean, I left Japan and I left Japan, lived in Singapore for a year after that in two thousand one, and I came back and and you know, I've been back to Japan a couple of times since then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been to into China a couple of times, which I didn't do when I was younger. And then I've been into Hong Kong, and uh, actually Manila was a place we I hadn't been to Manila since we left in the mid '70s. And I went there maybe eight years ago, and because uh, we do some business there as well, and that was kind of interesting. That's cool. Mm, what was yeah. that
0: like going back, seeing seeing the place where you kind of spent this you know three years, important years as a as a kid?
1: It felt really familiar. Okay, and yeah, she was like ask the, you to change or. It, it, didn't change as much as I thought it was. There was, you know, the the, the jeepneys which you get on the back of and you drive around and stuff like that. And yeah. The food was was good and familiar and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah.
0: Cool. Did it feel like a homecoming, kind of? Like, did it feel like this is a place I've been before, or yeah, did it feel totally. like I'm coming back to like my
1: place? I don't know, my place. It felt familiar for okay. sure, but Filipino culture is very welcoming. And yeah. And very warm, and yeah, it was
3: it was nice. Cool. Yeah. So so Japan, what um, let's, let's kind of get into mm. Japan a little bit because you spent 10 years there and that was kind of the the roots of what became your business career in many ways, right?
1: Yeah, somewhat. I mean, I went there and I was going to only spend a couple months there and it was the end of their bubble economy. It re burst and I thought I'd teach English for a little while and I ended up doing that for a year and a half in, yeah. in some junior public high schools and some language schools at nighttime and stuff. And And I did that for about a year and a half. And, you know, I traveled around the the country a little bit there and really appreciated it. And I was, I was getting a bit burnt out with it. And and I I felt that if I didn't do something else that I would probably leave. And I was living with um, an American guy that was in finance and he needed an assistant. And, you know, he, um, he said, here, read these books uh, and, and I'll test you on it. And and, you know, he, I read them and I'm like, he came home one night and I was like, I, I think I got it. And he tested me and I got it all wrong. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> yeah, I got everything wrong. And I was like, oh, and he's like, oh, forget it. Maybe it's not your thing. And he went off to bed and I was, I sat there and I was like, huh. <laughs> and I felt like it was one of those moments of like, oh, do you put the book away forever? Yeah. Or are you like, huh, why did I get it wrong? Like, what's, no, maybe it is my thing. And I remember diving into it deeper and like trying to figure it out. And then hmm. a couple weeks later he came home and I was like, hey, Mike, I think I got it. And he's like, you Sure. <laughs> And I he trusted me on everything and he said, oh, you got it? Okay, I'll set up an interview. Wow. And then I, you know, had an interview, had a series of interviews and finally got a job as doing um legal documentation support and P and L and all the support stuff for the, the at this French investment bank. And uh, so that was the start of it. Yeah. And then as the bank as our team grew and the bank grew, I ended up moving on the trading side and yeah. did some financial stuff over there and that was sort of the start of it and then it ended up being, um, ended up being there for 10 years wow. which is really a wonderful experience and Japan's a wonderful place.
3: So I mean a few questions on that mm. um, one like did you learn Japanese? Or yeah you learn sort of intermediate level I've lost a yeah. little bit by now. That's but, cool. yeah. So uh, what, what lessons did you learn from Japanese culture or, or what really resonated with you about their, their history and, and you know the day-to-day life in Japan?
1: Ah, there's such a connection to the whole versus Mm -hmm. the individual and, and I think that's something that coming from North America where it's much more individual based society, I think the appreciation, the, and the, the feeling that they have that they, they speak for their country every time they meet somebody Mm -hmm. that's, you know, not from there. And, and there's still a deep philosophical approach to life that's there that, um, I think is quite beautiful.
3: Yeah. I've never been to Japan, but I've mm-hmm. always been so fascinated because, you know, it's got like the deep roots in kind of some of their more spiritual, religious sense, but it's also like very futuristic at the same time. Like, they're, that's where like Mario Brothers was originated and mm-hmm. Pokemon. And like, there's right. like, they're like leading the wave in technology, but there's also like, a deep root of like history and um, like connected to those origins, whether it's like the temples or the, the nature or mm-hmm. like some of the um, kind of um, pre-religion kind of spiritual beliefs or whatnot. Um, just from some of the books I've read, like yeah. murkami books or anime or any of those things, it's always yeah. like kind of drawn me into, into their culture.
1: Yeah. And I, I think the, one of the other things I think I learned there was how you do something is really important. And my sister was over there. I think the first year I was there and she was over there teaching this as well. And then she left. And, um, after she left, I'd gotten, she asked me to go in and pay her, I don't know, Amex bill or something like that. So I went into the Amex office and I went and paid the bill and, um, they, I went and paid it and then like two days later I got a phone call from Amex and they said, did you, you know, did you come in and pay, you know, Beth's bill uh, a couple days ago? Yes, I did. And um, there was a discrepancy of eight yen, about eight cents yeah. <laughs> and they, they wanted it to be rectified. Yeah. And I was like, "It's like eight cents. Like yeah. what, you know, what's what? Yeah. what, why are you wasting my time and your time for that? Right and they said would you be able to you know come in and and give us the the extra 8 cents the other 8 yen and i was like oh, okay can i mail it to you and they said sure so you know i i went and put 8 yen which is a light ally coin, so it wasn't very heavy but i went and got the 8 yen I, I mailed it and i was really cheeky at the time and i wrote you know can you send me a receipt for this
3: <laughs> that's amazing
1: <laughs> yeah and 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 they sent me a receipt back and they sent it in a, in a in a big A4 envelope that had a guide to Tokyo in it. And it had probably $10 of postage yeah. on it to send it back to me. And I remember the time thing, like, this is ridiculous. What are these guys doing? And like, what a waste of their time and mind. Why don't you just like write it off or put eight cents in it and stuff yeah. like that. And I remember yeah. for a few years, I would tell that story and <laughs> yeah. it wasn't until later on, I really sort of appreciated that how you do something is really important. Mm. And that there was, there was a, uh, on the other side of this, there would have been you know, office that, that is in integrity that you do things properly. Yeah. And even if it costs a little bit of money, it's really important that they're done well and that, yeah. you can, that you can rely on those that work around you. And as a company, you're in integrity and you're doing things properly. Yes. And yeah, and a bunch of years later, I, I really reflected on that and I was like, Wow, what an arrogant asshole I was when I was younger, you know <laughs> well, yeah. it was, like, it, it was it, well, it was completely lost on me that, yeah. and it was you know years later that I really sort of appreciated it. It as like no, there's a right way to do things, and sometimes it's important, even if it costs a little bit of money to to stand by those principles
3: It's funny what memories stick, and you know we're talking about lessons yeah. like eight cents yeah, it's a story that you you at <clears> the time you laughed at, but it's a story that stuck with you right you know. Some years later, yeah, that we're we're talking about now.
0: The value, the value of eight cents in the moment is like that is it's worthless. But then that lesson, right? Like that eight cents is priceless. Right, right, right.
1: right. And then as you you know you have your own kids and stuff like that, like the value of a lesson and oh teachings becomes even more important. Right? Yeah, that that you learn the, that right? that's the that's, relational currency. Yeah, of like yeah. how to do how yeah. to
0: do life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and,
1: and yeah, and I think about now is like that put me back in integrity with that Amex office and the person there of like of fixing something that regardless of whose fault it was, if you want to lay blame or something like that, yeah. but, but it put the systems back in integrity. Yeah. And I think that's the thing I appreciate about Japan is there is an appreciation for the whole in the system, hmm. not just the individual. It wasn't like, I'm not sending it to you and like keeping my eight yen. I screwed you or something like that. Like, yeah, yeah. like there's an appreciation for resetting something that wasn't done right. Right. And I think there's something really, lovely about that.
3: Mm. So is that a value that you brought forward into your business life?
1: I think it's, it showed up a little bit later. Yeah. I think, um, you know, we, we changed the leadership up at Native Shoes about five years ago and I wanted somebody that had experience in sort of three areas that I didn't in an organization. One of them was develop our people, um, within an organization, develop a purpose for the organization and the customer and through e-commerce and stuff like that. And when you get into, into the person you get into vision, value, and goals, right? And those come from, you know, inside you and they're all, all three of us would be different. There might be overlap in the goals and stuff like that, but the values would be specific to us and that way of being. And I think that there is overlap with that story I just told you about Japan of like, there's a way of being that is important. That you yes. carry with you, and that, that can't be taken away from you. Yes. If you uphold that, so.
3: I love that. We got a we got a duck in the. In the <laughs> My phone quack away in the closet. Yeah. <laughs> it oh, might weird. be that's okay. I was like, "Is there? Because there's not. We, we're recording here in Steveson so there are ducks around." And I was like, "Yeah, is there literally a duck on the patio right now? <laughs> they're quacking, wanting to join this conversation. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Just wanted to acknowledge the duck in the room. Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> new saying yeah. Oh, that's so good. Alright, so lessons from from Eight Yen. I love that. Yeah. Um, and then and
1: also like appreciation for things that Know, didn't come necessarily come from the city that I grew up in and at the time, like, like food, fashion, architecture, mm-hmm. yes. you know, appreciation aesthetics. for arts <laughs> in a different way. Yeah. Aesthetics. I mean, there's a, a concept in Japan called Wabi Sabi, which is the, uh, um, appreciation for the natural decay of objects and stuff and, and allowing that to happen. And then there's beauty in those things when they change and age over time.
3: Mm. So did some of that experience set your foundation for your appreciation and support for the arts as well? Because I know that's been a part of your your journey as well.
1: Yeah, like I tend to think the arts are a place that we see ourselves or they teach us some things in different ways. And, um, and, and I think there's great value in that. And um, I'm just trying to think of some examples of, of that, I remember going. Um, where did I go? Well, I remember seeing a play in New York. Um, um, what was it? Um, Death of a Salesman.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, classic.
1: And, yeah, and I went to I went to it because Philip Seymour Hoffman was playing the lead in it. Oh um, no way! Yeah, it was probably a year or two before he passed away, and I I went because of him, and I didn't really know the story until the day before when I read it. Yeah. And then I remember watching the play, and one of the characters on the stage um i saw myself in that character mm. and i went whoa and the play finished everyone left the auditorium and i was sitting there i was the last one in the seat and the, the usher came by Sir, you have to leave it. oh and i'm sitting around the corner sipping on a cappuccino for an hour just reflecting on what i just saw and and so like those kind of experiences show up for me a few other times as well and and sometimes you don't know when they're coming of course And there's something really quite beautiful about that yeah the teachings of it right
0: totally So is there a way, like you've talked already about these different lessons or different moments, kind of like turning points in your life and we can be so busy, we can be so driven, Mm. goal focused, whatever that we, we see these things and maybe just like bulldoze past them. You've talked a number of times about already, like how you reflect on these things. Mm. How do you curate a posture where you make time for that? Is there something where it resonates in you and you're like, ah, I should pay attention to this and Mm. then intentionally go sit for an hour or is it like a different process where you're actively looking for it? Like what's if someone was listening to this, be like, I want to become a more reflective person. Like what, what advice would you share?
1: Well, I I think when I was much younger, I didn't have the ability to identify feelings that were inside of me. Okay. And I, I think when you can identify what's happening for you inside of you, you can observe those and go into a place of wonderment of Mm. like, Oh, where's that come from? or, you know, when you have judgment on somebody else, that, that judgment on somebody else exists in, in you somewhere. Yeah. So to turn that around. So yeah, there's tools like Byron Katie and her, um, loving what is that book? There's a, it's, it's a tool of like when you see judgment in somebody else or something else yeah. to, there's a tool that allows you to bring it back into you and, and wonder about like, where is that in you?
0: Mm. So using those moments, like as a bit of a mirror to look at Absolutely. Within.
1: Yeah. And then there's other times like, like I went to Marfa, Texas where Donald jugged, did a lot of art in a small town, and I took my mom there. We were walking through this one gallery space, and there's um. It was the artist, what's it, Johnson? I think it was Robert Johnson. Anyway, so he does sculpture out of taking um, car parts like fenders and bend them up and stuff like that. And the, the one the woman was giving us the, the man that was giving us guide said, he has to crumple up everything. He finishes up a pack of cigarettes, he crumples the package, and da-da-da, and you walk through this space, and my mom went one way, I went the other way, and you looked at these objects that were, you know, five, six feet tall, and they were crumpled up hoods or fenders, and and then, you know, we met up with my mom on the other side, and she goes, I don't get it. Like, it doesn't look like anything. It doesn't look like anything. She said, what do you see? (laughs) And I turned to her, and I said, I don't know, Mom, I see, like, your generation of men that are angry all the time and they just have to <laughs> destroy and beat things with hammers and stuff like that. Yeah. And she looked at me and she dropped her hands and she said, You've been taking some philosophy courses? <laughs> I thought you were a math and science person like us. <laughs> like us. Oh man. So it was like it was like the gift of that artist, like I felt seen by my mom. Yeah. Wow. At, at a, you know, fifty years old or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Right? And like the artist that made that did it for his own pleasure, frustration or whatever, whatever it was. yeah. And then it goes out in the world and other people have their own experiences with it, which totally. they see something about themselves. Yeah. And it's pretty magical. Like, Dude, he, that's would never, amazing. like he would, like he he's passed away. And so I can never reach out and say, Hey, I had, you gave an amazing experience with me and my mom. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Yeah. But that's where creative, like that, that expression is so important in the world. Right. right? And to be able to, to hold space, to allow people to do it, create it support it because mm. you never know just like how the the conversation of wellness shots and whatever you struck down a gas town mm. like that those were seeds of conversation that fostered grew into something that was beyond ever what you know that conversation could have you you would have hoped or imagined mm. and similarly smashed up fenders turned into this like beautiful moment between right. a mom and her son right crazy so in Vancouver, yeah. Speaking of arts and creating moments, mm. you for a while had the parking space. Oh yeah. I is did. this still
1: does it, is it still around? No, okay. I I let go of the space just before COVID actually. Oh okay. Yeah.
0: So can you just share a little bit about what that was?
1: Oh, the parking spot was a space that was it was a little retail space of a hundred. The start off as 120 square feet, then I bought the space next door that was 89 square feet. Okay, and it doubled, almost doubled in size to 210 or 220 <laughs> square feet. But I had it for probably 15 years or so, and I was um, it's around the corner from where I live in Gastown, and I bought it because I needed a parking spot in the area, and I didn't. And at the time, it was not much more than just the cost of a parking spot, and you could not right. buy them. So I bought it, and then I had people in the arts or design community that were looking for spaces and and i would just make it available to them and and i was also come across people that would say oh if i had a space i'd do a show and i so i'd carry the key around i'm like great there you go. have a show <laughs> do a show and then yeah. go, well who else is shown the space or well i gotta make work and all these other reasons for not doing a show came on i said i'm just say, okay give me the key back yeah you don't really want to do one right so it was wow. a little bit way of seeing kind of a know, who wanted to do something yeah, and through cool. that i met some really interesting amazing people and seen some really great projects. I would give it to people for a year for free in the end. Right. To develop themselves of their idea. Amazing. Yeah.
3: It's so cool because I think our relationship with arts and creativity has been a little bit, um, hasn't been like the healthiest relationship in in Canada Mm. or or just in general. Like I think if you think a long time ago, uh, if you think of some of the greats, like the Leonardo da Vinci's and and the Mozarts and all these people like they had uh, patrons that would kind of support and foster their arts and just Mm -hmm. allow them to be creative people because society Mm -hmm. saw value in that and now um, we don't really see value in it until they've established that they have value that Mm -hmm. they've like achieved some sort of success that we you know perceive as success Uh, until they've made it you know we kind of just like stick them in a corner as like the struggling artist. Yeah. Um, but you've kind of, you kind of broke that with the, the parking spot and, and just kind of a lot of what you've done, um, in supporting creative people. Um, can you speak on the importance of supporting artists and supporting creativity and what that can do in a larger piece for society? uh sure (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's a bit of a big net but well um... I I think the examples that I gave of
1: my experience like that's available to anybody yeah you know and and the more you're able to um observe be aware and and identify feelings in you yes the the more that you can see the teachings of the things around you that you might not have before right so I think that that is available yeah to itself and for the for the art and creativity itself I think there's the there's the, the process of creation, whether it's design or art, that is an expression of somebody yeah. that may be, just be for themselves. Right. And, and, and it, it, it may not make it out of their home, but it gives them some... The process of it gives them some individual pleasure and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then there's stuff that comes out of that process that goes out in the public realm. Yes. Whether it's an iPhone or whether it's you know some form of art or something like that, that is out in the public realm that... People have their own experiences with. Like, yeah. Much like I shared with you already. For sure. That that is really and the ability of that art to have social commentary um when other mediums might not be available. So you look at like I way for example. Yes. You know, in a country where the, the press is tightly controlled, there's no avenue for social commentary. The arts is a place where the social commentary happens. Mm-hmm. You know, when there was an earthquake that the schools got flattened and they learned they didn't put rebar in the schools and they weren't built properly and, you know, all these children died. Mm-hmm. There was no real commentary going on in the news or any other awareness. But he did an art piece about, about that to, to, to raise the awareness of like, look, there's construction companies that weren't doing what they say we're going to do and a bunch of our children are now dead yeah right so that that sort of social commentary and like banksy would do stuff in a very humorous level and stuff like that yeah Yeah. but but that but that need to express oneself that that can happen on you know every local level regardless of whether it shows up in the southeast auction or (laughs) becomes famous or we put a dollar value on it or something like that now right
3: yeah 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 because i i find as someone that travels or goes to different cities Pre-COVID, haven't done as much lately. Mm-hmm. But you know, one of the stops for most people is like the museum or the art gallery because those artists are like the storytellers. They kind of tell the the story of that culture or that history through the lens of of the people. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not necessarily the the landlords or the the victors or, or you know the same history that you might read in a, a textbook. The artists are te- kind of telling the experienced history Mm. and the experienced culture. And, um, you know, I think during COVID it's like what, what new, new art is, is rising and and how can we support those artists so that they have the right platform to, to share their history because it's the history that we will remember and our, our children and the children after will be looking at what the artists created to define, you know, Mm. this, this era in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: mean, it could be as simple as if you look around in your home, do you have, original art on the walls. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like the impact that it has on somebody when you go into their show or their gallery or you buy something from somebody, it's very meaningful to that person. For sure. Plus it's also, it's very different than having, you know, a reproductive poster on the wall. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So if all of your home is reproductive posters, you could look at the economics of it. You have you but posters that are printed somewhere else, yeah. Or you have stuff on your on your walls that is a, is a memory of the time where you met an artist and you resonated with the idea that they were trying to present, yeah. And then that person exists in your community to to continue to do that. It's a different kind of uh, you know neighborhood that you're cultivating, right? For sure. Mm-hmm. And, and it gets to the core of like is, is original is original idea and ideation important or not? Right. Right. Yeah, what do you think? Oh, it's very important. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I just, I just got back from a few months ago. We went out or a few weeks ago, we went out East and we were in Halifax, which I'd never been to before. And we went to Newfoundland and we went to Fogo Island. Yes. We went to Fogo Island Inn and it's really amazing what Zita Cobb has done out there with, with a community that was, was, you know, founded by settlers originally from Ireland 400 years ago that came for fishing. And then the cod fisheries got shut down in the nineties because of, it was being overfished, and the community there that was in decline. And she grew up there, went away, made some money in fiber rockets came back, and said, "Well, what are we going to do here? Yeah. The path this is on right now, this is not this is not a good one," and stuff like that. So she went and hired an architect that was from Newfoundland, that was you know in living in Norway, Todd Sanders, that was from Gander, and she had this vision of of using of regional economic development through arts and culture, and she had this hotel that was built. And then she looked at what she had to work with on the island, and she looked at there was skills there in making furniture, there was skills in quilts, there was skills in knitting, and a couple other things. And she brought in some international designers to work with the craftsmen, and they come up with a line of furniture and, and quilts, and she's effectively elevated craft art. And it's really amazing what she's done there, and um, is going to continue to do. She's bought a bunch, and they manufacture a bunch of the furniture on the island there, and the quilts and, and she's bought a bunch of buildings and she, there's four residencies for artists that are there wow. and it's really incredible. But her core thing is that we go anywhere in the world is generic now. Right. And mm. the important, the importance of place and for that to be expressed. And, you know, as we sit here today and we look at like, what are the opportunities that COVID has given us? and so far and somebody said to me it's to disconnect from the material world Mm. and reconnect to ourselves and I think that's one of the comments that sort of resonated with me the most Mm. to disconnect from the material world yeah right oh totally and then we sit here in you know in Steveson outside Vancouver and we have another atmospheric river going to go through the island and the lower mainland we had the one that went through a week or so ago that took out all the roads and stuff like that yeah and you know it's all it feels like it's all pointing to you know to connect with our own cultural expression we're being cut off from supply lines Yep. right and and you know when we look at the land the you know the landscape in a in a city and it's like is there an expression of food and wine that's from us or are we importing someone else's to tell their story and like i love italian and japanese and Chinese food and other things, of course. but I'd love to see a little bit more of us telling our own story around food and wine.
0: Yeah. And we have the ability to
1: we completely have the ability to, right? <laughs> yeah. It's and just making it a priority. Yeah. So there's like a, a way of being that kind of shows up. If you go into, you know, if you choose to put things on your walls, their reproductions of someone else's culture on your wall, you know, and you go support restaurants that are of someone else's culture, like at what and what's holding us back from really believing in ourselves and wanting to express ourselves hmm. rather than express somebody else's culture and somebody else yeah. I mean, and that comes to belief in self I think that you, you matter you have a voice and you have something that's worth sharing yeah. for your own needs and for others
0: hmm. and it's even like i think tied in with like the idea of appropriation right if there are people that instead of championing their own culture, what they have to offer. That's maybe this, that sense of place tied to where you're from and mm-hmm. what you have in front of you. It's looking at doing something else instead of, or bringing something else in and mm. maybe not pass it, not necessarily passing it off as your own, but rather than choosing to do your own thing, you're bringing in someone else's and mm. it's cut off from that source of identity source of place. And mm. then in times like this, we see that we're it's fragile. It's very fragile and can be interrupted by climate change, by natural disaster, or just supply and demand and things get out of reach. So then what could have been a very sustainable model of based on a sense of place, a sense of identity, now that's been disrupted. And so goes your sense of identity disrupted. Who am I? What am I doing? What am I presenting and bringing into the world?
2: Yeah.
1: Hmm. Sense of self, right?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, for so long, there was such a focus on this idea of fusion, you know, fusion culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many different cultures that do live and exist here. But I think like, you know, every restaurant was trying to be a taco, a taco place, a sushi place, a pizza place, a gelato place all at once. Mm. And like, what's the identity there? Yeah. Um. One one other thing that I was kind of um, taking away from what you were just saying is when we were talking about the arts, Um, kind of projecting those same values just onto like makers and creators as a whole like um, supporting I know I know like you've done a great job doing this and and I admire it like um, local artisans goes beyond like artists like it's people that make furniture people that make clothing people that make food and wine like you were saying and if you create that that ecosystem of local creators and local makers then you know it's it's more one it's more sustainable but um we're we're putting our our money in people that we believe in and and creating like a ecosystem of possibility rather than Mm -hmm. putting that you know to people that we don't know
1: yeah i think it's being willing to have a point of view yes being willing to have a point of view right if you look at you know scandinavia there is denmark sweden there's countries there that bat well have well above their weight economically yes mm-hmm. that produce amazing ideas or products that, that go off into the world and provide a good quality of life for them but um there's innovation that happens in those places that is it's quite remarkable for a very very not a big population base right
3: yeah so with with COVID, um, yeah, I think you might have answered. But one question that we've asked a few times, like, what is what is one thing that you've learned that you can't live without, and what's one thing that you've learned that you can live without uh, from kind of the changes that the the world's put on us?
1: Huh? Can live without and can't live without. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, can't live without um, aside from wife and um new baby were amazing um is is being self-directed and self-referred i think that was because that's the foundation of everything the foundation of the individual allows you to be in a amazing healthy relationship with others and create the other things around that um can't live without that with that one was it can
3: live without yeah yeah what's that you've like okay i don't need this is something that i thought i needed that i don't necessarily doesn't really serve
2: me.
1: <sighs> I felt like there was a lot of noise before. There was mm. things that was, you know, we pre-occupied my time that weren't, really weren't that important. But right. and and COVID coincided also with becoming pregnant, and having a child. So nice. they're kind of. You know, my sister said to me after she had her f- first child, she never I realized—I never realized how much free time I had till after I had the baby. <laughs> it's true, <Right>? isn't it? <laughs> And then you're like, "Wow, I had so much free time before. What was I doing?" Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that the, the kind of the co the, the you know new family life and Those COVID sort lines. of coincide a little bit more. But the the, the 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 maybe it's just that there's things that we put so much important on that aren't that important.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think and to check that one maybe. I think mm. you summarize that well just by calling it noise. Like there's so much noise, or you can call it keeping up with the Joneses, or like yeah. you know keeping up with that, what's going on, on Instagram. Like there's a lot of noise that distracts us from you know true value or or things that do better us or society that uh, we can kind of get trapped in.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I, and I also think that there was. Really, it really allowed us a chance to sort of focus on who are the people that I really want to mm. have deeper friendships with. Yeah, yeah. I think that's another one I for myself, and I hear it in other people as well. Is yeah, that when you have limited time and yeah, you know. Who who are the ones that I really really need to see? Yeah, you know, yeah. And, a, and how do I make those happen? Right, because it, it, that time is a little more precious now.
0: Totally right. When when Doctor Bonnie told us we had to choose our bubble <laughs> right. or whatever, it's like okay, well, <laughs> sorry friends, but like you're not in my bubble. Yeah, right. Yeah. You had to make those decisions though, but it forced again. It was like a point of reflection. Who matters to me? Who are the most important people to me? That like if I am going to see a limited number of people, whether it's six or whatever yeah. it was, like who are those people going to be? And how am I going to use that time intentionally? Because there, there is, I think it, it showed us too, like the resources and the, the limited capacity that we have as people with only so much time and energy in the day that like we were giving it away so much to like every little thing, saying yes to this, saying yes to that, because it felt like we had to. And then when that pressure was relieved because like we couldn't go anywhere or nothing was happening, like how many people in 2020 were so sick of COVID, but then like, you know, as the holidays rolled around, I heard from so many folks who were like, Oh, I'm so glad that there's not the pressure to go to everything this year. Cause there is nothing. Yeah. And I mean, it gets tired. We want stuff to come back. It gets tiring, but like that sense of re- relief from this, like yeah, relentless, there's always something that I have to go to be at, show up at, say yes to meetings, schedules, events. It's like.
1: That's, a, that's an interesting one. Because I, I think when you're in that pattern of always not saying no or not defining boundaries, when the need to take the boundaries is removed and you feel free. Yeah. Like you realize the space you were in before, right?
0: That's 100%. the teacher. Yeah. Yeah. You had no boundaries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, have, <laughs> I
1: have a good friend and he said when his, it wasn't until his father passed away that he realized how much he was trying to please his father. And when he wasn't there. Yeah. He it became really apparent that he 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 was trying to please his father the whole time. Yeah. But in the absence of somebody to please, it was like, oh. So how did that yeah.
3: cha- how did that change for him after his father passed? Did he share that? Like, well, I think
1: it's freeing. Yeah. And there was an awareness in it for him. Yeah. That he was didn't realize he was doing that.
3: Did he transfer that to somebody else, or did Who, he like take? I mean, That's a this, question. This is, I'm asking you to answer someone else's experience, but I, I wonder if you projected that onto somebody else or if you like yeah. took that within to be the master of self in a way.
1: Yeah. That would be the, the, the natural thing. Most people would be is like, who do I project that onto? Next yeah. Time? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Interesting. All right. Time travel. Are you guys ready to go, go oh, back? Yeah. Spin the, the time machine. <laughs> so you leave Japan after mm-hmm. 10 years, mm-hmm. you spent some time in in the finance world kind of learning that side of things mm. and you came back to Vancouver and kind of parlayed that into, um, you know, growing, fostering many businesses in, in Vancouver from mm. restaurants to, um, I think most prolifically and what I mostly know you through, uh, native shoes. Um, can we kind of jam on, on the business, the businessman of Scott Hawthorne for a few? Sure. Okay. Okay. Sure. All right, bring your notes out, people. I've got my pad. <laughs> um, one thing that I've admired that you've done, uh, I see you kind of as a, a business philosopher that is, uh, you know, looks at things not necessarily only through an economical sense, like um, bringing social responsibility, conscious capitalism, um, with native beast free. Can Can you talk about like the idea of being a social, socially responsible? Mm. Capitalists are conscious capitalists in a mm. way
1: mm. I think there's, there's several little sort of mini events along the way that kind of are memorable for me and stuff like that and you know I think from a young age, I was always taught to think about other people mm-hmm. that's something that I think my parents instilled in me is like think about other people and um so I think that that was something that was in me for some time, and you know when I, when I came back. Uh, to Vancouver, I had a little bit more capital than when I, when I left here. So it gave me a little bit of freedom and privilege to be able to, you know, be a bit more um, Mm self-directed, a bit more entrepreneurial than I would have been otherwise. And, you know, I went to SVI, the Social Venture Institute in Hollyhock one year, uh, the Joel Solomon runs. And it was my first time in that kind of more formalized community of, uh, where you learn triple bottom line, people, profit and plan and stuff like that. And you're like, oh, okay. And you learn the vocabulary and you're like, oh, I, you know, I kind of operate a little bit in that space. But when you hear it formalized and other people doing, you see a community of other people, and you're like, oh, it becomes a little bit more like uplifting and, and you know, it becomes educational for yourself and stuff like that. So I think that was one of the ones where I was like, oh, there's actually people that this is a thing for mm-hmm. and stuff. And I remember when I was in, went to SFU I was thought about oh maybe I should take some business classes and stuff and at the time I took like first year stats and economics and I didn't really feel like I gelled with most people in the class it wasn't really you know my vibe and stuff like that of you know talking just business for the spirit of numbers and stuff like that and I mm-hmm. t- tend to look at it now as you know a business is the framework that an idea goes into mm-hmm. the idea can go into a, a non-profit or a for-profit or something like that but the, the organization itself and you know, what what it's become of of you know just about top line and bottom line it's it's not something that it's those are those are the outputs of purpose right like when you do your purpose really well and you serve that you'll probably you should blow those numbers away
3: so do you have a personal purpose that you project onto your businesses or do the the businesses are they born out of an idea or a purpose separate to your your own
1: well i think there's overlap on them yeah for sure and i You know, I, I, for my own purpose, I think it's linked to curiosity of leading self and others through curiosity. I Mm -hmm. love that. That's sort of what I've sort of come up with and stuff. And, um, Hmm. but I think when, when we brought, when Kyle Houseman came into the business of Native Shoes, and the ask I had of him was, I need help in, the, the three areas of, uh, developing people, developing a purpose of the organization and the e-commerce and the customer. Cause I hadn't, those were not my skill set of doing those within our organization. That was the ask of him. And, and I remember, you know, he brought, um, um, Chloe Gow in to do some development work for us for vision and goals and yeah. purpose and stuff like that. And it kind of, it kind of got us on a path and a movement. And I, t- I realized I'm, I'm more of a process person. I can go into a process and not necessarily be tied to what the outcome is going to be. But I know that when I get in that I'll figure stuff out and stuff like that. So when, you know, when Kyle brought, um, brought Chloe in and we started doing a bunch of the work internally, we had a a session where in the morning we would explain what we perceived to be the the value of the vision value goals for native shoes Where in the afternoon, we said, we're going to turn it around to you guys and give you guys a chance to explore what that is for yourself. And the the idea was to allow people to discover what their own values and then their vision and goals for their own life is and stuff like that, and then for them to see if there was an overlap between their theirs and what was this, exists in the company. Hmm. And you know, I think of like Mar. You know, our parents grew up in a time. At least I think mine did. Grew up in a time where you just had a job. You got to pay the bills and you raise kids. Yeah. And you know, the idea that you had a purpose or your where your company had a purpose, it was not even a thing before, right, and you just
3: put your head down and work kind of yeah,
1: thing. my parents grew up in you know were born in the early mid forties in World War two, yeah, coming out of that environment, right so you you know they came out of a time where there there were no values or purposes for a company, but companies had a purpose, yep, they definitely had purposes, they just never identified what they were, and then communicate that to the people and let their people find them so one of, I guess one of my, the world I would like to live in is where we move away from one where people are able to identify what their own values and purposes and the companies to do the same. And then we have this migration of people where they find each other. Yeah. And where you have this world where you, there is strong overlap between how you spend your time and when you're at work or at home you're you're in integrity with your values and you see you're making a contribution to the world in a meaningful way
3: Mm. well when i think of native shoes i do think that it's a value driven business i Mm. think of i do think of the value before i think of the product which i think is for me a successfully run business i think of you know beast free i think of little activism or or what's your what's your tiny Tiny activist yeah um, I think more about your why than the actual product and that in whatever reverse psychology actually, dry, uh, you know, draws me in to want the product because I believe in the values of the why of the business. Yeah. Uh, and those are the businesses that I want to support because they're in value alignment. Hmm. Um, could 100%. you could you talk about like Beast Free and Tiny Activists and and some of those um, movements that you've created through business that have had you know larger ripple effects?
1: Yeah. What, what's really interesting is as you create this environment where you have overlap between the purpose and values of your of your people and the organization is the, the people in the organization and you decentralize decision making is you you create a way of being for the organization, the people in it, where they start driving, coming up with amazing ideas that I could have never come up with myself.
3: Mm. So you're making space for creativity. Yeah. And let me,
1: here's, um, yeah, you're just empowering your people Yeah, that you're aligned with and stuff like that. Yeah. Here, I'll give you an example. I'd, I had an email maybe six or nine months ago from someone at, um, is it Earth Stand or Stand Earth? I keep getting. I'm dyslexic sometimes. But <laughs> yeah, the environmental organization I that Sephora Stand- Berman runs, right?
3: I think it's Stand Earth, but I, we'll we'll check that. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and I had an email from somebody on Sephora's team, and they sent me an email, and they said, um, um, "Hey, we just received an email from somebody at Native Shoes, um, donating some money to us, and I'm sure this happened because of you. And you know, thanks very much for your support." And da 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 da. And when I got that email, I kind of smiled yeah. because I didn't know somebody on my team had done that. That's cool. And, and I wrote back and I said, um, I had something to do this. I said, this email just made me smile and it's going to head me into the weekend in a really good spirits because um, I had something to do this, but not in the way you think. <laughs> you know, We spent like several years now trying to empower our people and create an organization where we have alignment around you know, purpose and our people. And, um, we've empowered our people to do things. And when I get this email back and I don't know that my, somebody, in my company did that, that really makes me smile. Cause it means that the energy to, to send you that, um, that money from our organization comes much deeper in the organization than just me.
3: Yeah. That's cool. Very cool.
1: Yeah.
0: That's and That's exactly what you were saying. Like finding the people that align with the purpose and values of the business. And then those things go like hand in glove and then you empower them, set them free with ownership and leadership within that. And like great things happen. The result is good for everybody. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been pretty amazing.
0: It's very cool. I like how even on your website, I mean, we're on it often because the kids feet are always getting bigger Mm. and the girls love the little Kensington boots or whatever. And like Zach was saying, I think it's great. When you can find something that is a good product, that's always nice, but then also when those values align. Mm -hmm. And I love how right on the website for Native Shoes, like you've got the four key values, one of them being the tiny activism, but do the Mm -hmm. kind thing, practice tiny activism, ask more what ifs, which I think you've alluded to with Mm -hmm. kind of like that living in curiosity and reflection as well. And then lighten up, right? Like having some fun with it and all of that. And I think like those are those are values that people can get on board with. Yeah. Right. Is and does any one of those like resonate most deeply with you? Do you think?
1: Well, I think the what, curiosity is one that people say that I have that in spades. So I think that the what if ones are important, but yeah. these are ones we, we brought an, an outside group in to help us, um, better understand who we were and come up with a vocabulary that would express that. Right. And, and this is what a group in my office came back with. Okay. So, um, but but the, I think they're all sort of on point for us and yeah. empowering and they all get, you know, live through the organization. There was a book I remember reading several years ago called um, Purpose Revolution, John Izzo. He's okay. out of UBC. And in it, he talks about the difference between marketing your purpose and living your purpose. Mm-hmm. And I remember coming across a few pages on, you know, living the purpose and what that means and how different that is. And I b- bought a bunch of the books for the office and the board and the executive team. And we talked about that, the difference between living a purpose and and marketing the purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: I think you see a lot of that too. Like, uh, and it's usually pretty apparent, like when something is marketing for transactional purposes and yeah. when something is marketing for like a genuine connection or interest or curiosity to like explore an avenue of doing good
1: yeah yeah well i had i had a moment even before that like before coming across that book i had a moment of one of the things i started was salt tasting room which was the wine bar in blood alley right And we'd serve meat cheese and wine yeah won some awards for it and did quite well in there and it, it i've been my role as native shoes is I was a really good investor. I got pulled back into it and I've coming in and out of it and stuff like that. And it was a point in, what was it 2013 or 14 or something like that? Or 15 where, you know, I saw the movie Cowspiracy. Yes. And I remember seeing that and I was like, wow. <laughs> and I'd seen Forks Over Knives and i would yeah. seen other movies before that, but for whatever reason, seeing that movie and at that point in time, it really landed with me and yeah. I watched it and I was like, okay, what's my contribution here and what's my involvement and stuff. And yeah, I remember thinking like, oh, well, let's not eat a cow for a month and see what happens. And, you know, I didn't even got through the month and it was like, okay, let's not eat pigs, let's not eat chickens. And for environmental, you know, reasons and as well as wellness and, and then being sentient beings, all three of them. And so I gave them up and, and then I started thinking about, well, what about the other place of influence for me? Mm-hmm. And I looked at, you know, here I'm being asked, invited back into to native shoes to be a more, um active participant in it. And I owned the, you know, a restaurant where we served, you know, charcuterie on yes, the menu yes. stuff like that. And I was like, well, can I go back in here and speak about beast free and we don't use animals over here, right? but be involved in business where we, we serve them up right. over here and stuff like that. And I had a conversation with myself and I was like, they can't do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can't be over here in integrity and say, this is important to me when over here it's, you're doing the opposite. Right. Yeah. So I ended up sitting with my, my partner. And I would chat, and he wanted to take the business over by himself. And so I sold my shares, and I committed to this is where I'm going to go. And and I felt I couldn't stand of the company if I didn't live that a little bit more, right? That, that and it was a bit value. it was a, it was a challenge for me to like challenging myself of like, look, here's where we all kind of need to go. Yes. Yeah, it's like the, the math and science around you know the, the resources that go into you know, sustaining a cow and a piece of beef on the menu, like at some point, like it's, it's going to fall apart. Yeah. It's not going to be able to you know, meet everybody's needs. So what do we do about that? So it was a challenge to me of like trying to get ahead of that myself and yeah. challenge myself.
3: Well, that's cool. I, I mean, I remember that time together because we, we hosted some movie nights together um, yeah. that kind of, I think hopefully planted lots of seeds of that curiosity with lots of people. Mm. Um, but one, one thing that, it took me some time to realize was, you know, I was having these realizations about the food system and the agricultural system, but I wasn't originally projecting it onto clothing or other avenues in my life. So I think when you kind of own this coin of beast free and I was like, oh yeah, like that, that is more than what's on our plate. It's what we're wearing. It's how we're interacting with the world. Um, And I looked, I remember like looking in my closet and I had like leather shoes and leather belts and similar to that discomfort that you had with what you were serving in salt. I had that discomfort with what I was wearing Mm -hmm. on my body Mm -hmm. and it just made me like take check of, you know, what, where my integrity was and where my values were. And I remember like, yeah, just kind of going through all my clothes and, and replacing the things that, um, didn't align with my personal values and, and, you know, having options like native shoes um, helped project that value standpoint onto many more aspects beyond shoes onto my life. So there's another nugget that you uh, that you mm. helped me with along the times.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. yeah, but you were do you were able to reflect on that yourself, right? Yes. Right, and yeah. at some point that starts showing up for you. Yeah, which is pretty cool. But like a- you're willing to like do those reflections, right?
3: For sure, and it's a journey. Like it starts. For me, it started with food. Um, for others, it can start with clothing or a car. Like maybe they opt out of a fossil fuel-driven car and have an electric car. And I think those those trigger points of making a choice of positive impact can kind of have a ripple effect of self reflection in other areas of life.
1: Yeah, I remember I listened to a podcast of Rich Roll, Ooh. and he would say that like when he first did his his uh, started going to yoga. Yeah he went to yoga I think down at Venice beach or something like that yeah. or Malibu or something. He went there cause that's where all the really attractive women were. <laughs> yeah. He just went there for that. But once he got into it, it became so much more for him. Mm-hmm. Yes. So he would say like, you know, whatever gets you in the conversation yes. you know, for wherever you're at at that point in time and yeah. not to put the judgment on others, but like accept where you're at and you know, whatever, whatever it takes you to get in the conversation.
0: Yeah. It's the thin edge of the wedge that gets you in. Right. And then what happens after that is, based on your own self-reflection, the right. experiences you're getting and you're like, yeah. oh, I want more than this. But like whatever gets you in the door, whether it's like, yeah, going to that vegan restaurant because the girl is cute that you're dating and she wants to eat that. And so, okay, let's go. And then it opens up the potential to be like, wait, do I, why do I eat all this meat? Or like, why do I need to? Or why are you vegan? Mm-hmm. And then those are the conversations that help us like learn and grow if we're willing to have them and then look within, right? And say, yeah. what does this mean for me? Yeah, yeah. It, it
1: breaks down. It helps break down the stereotypes of, the, of the meaning that you put on vegan or or something else, right? Yeah. And I remember when we um, we had an arrangement with our, our bank, and they said we'd like to take you out for dinner, and we said, all right. So we'll pick the restaurant. We picked heirloom, on Granville and Twelfth. And you know, we get up there, and you know, there's this trepidation they have of walking to a restaurant that that is not so familiar with them. So you know, we take the lead in ordering and. Have some very accessible appetizers that were yep. vegetarian or vegan and stuff like that. Yeah. Then they see them relax a little bit in their seat, and you know by the end of the meal they're like, "This is pretty good, <laughs> right?" <laughs> and it's just like you know they could have left like this isn't our thing, and that's okay too. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's you know the invitation to others it you know, can't can't come with judgment or with anything else on it. You just have to right. accept people for where they're at because if you push them, they're going to resist it and stuff.
3: Yeah, yeah. None of us were born. Uh, vegan or zero waste, or I mean, maybe some are now, but uh, for the most part, you know, this has all been personal journey where we've gotten to these points and to pass judgment on somebody else when they're on their own personal journey is uh, not really a fair thing to do.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: But I think it's it's often not as high stakes. It's like, what's on my plate, right? And people are very connected and it's cultural and it's familial. And so there's a lot that goes into the decision of like, okay, I'm not going to eat the Christmas turkey or whatever when I go back to mom and dad's house or grandma's house or whatever it might be. But it's like higher stakes when you're talking about like businesses that you're invested in. You're like, okay, how do I stand with integrity in one if this is what I'm doing the other. And then to have that conversation with yourself and then the other stakeholders and partners and say, I can't be here because I don't align with these values anymore. Mm. Like that's big. So, I mean, in many ways, kudos to you. And then for, for us, like hearing that and listening, like it's an, it's inspirational to be like, okay, yeah, there are, there are high stakes in it, but it's, they're not all the same, right? For some, for some, it's like, I don't know, that's like a real, kind of pivotal moment where mm-hmm. you said, I'm going to be all in on this because this is like how I'm personally leaning. Yeah. Because I think a lot of times economics can dictate what we do. More than our actual like values. Revenue over everything kind yeah. of thing. Which yeah. is really what got us into this mess in the first place, right? Like yeah. atmospheric rivers notwithstanding.
1: Yeah. I and mean, we we you know how we create our own identity, right? Yeah. Whether it's you know, we think it's validated by these external things or it's internally referenced, right? Mm. You know, whether it's they say object referred or self referred, right? And,
3: right. Right. Uh one thing you said uh when you took your friends to Are your Bankers? to um heirloom Heirloom. um you know they came in with one perception and left with with another Mm. Uh, can you talk about this idea of living in possibility
2: Mm. Mm.
3: i know that's something that i've i've we've talked about in the past but i think it's an important conversation i just want to hear your thoughts on it
1: yeah well the the possibility is you get there by curiosity right Mm -hmm. and you know there's you know, there's an event that happens in front of you and you can go into reaction or victimhood against it, or you can, the way you get out of that is by curiosity and getting into possibility of like, rather than making the assumption of like, they won't like it or this other thing. And it's like, what an opportunity it was to like reflect our values to them of like, this is really important to us. And we're happy that we're doing business with you. And can we show you something that you may or may not be aware of and that's happening in the city?
3: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So if you're living in possibility, you you kind of take yourself out of living in judgment or projecting what's not possible. It kind of opens the doors to um, you know try things mm. without judgment. Mm. Uh, do you do you project that into like all aspects of your life, or or how has, has that been like a value standpoint for you? Living in possibility. When I'm conscious. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I know.
1: But we're all running the same program, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like, we all we all slip up and, you know, slip into unconscious and stuff like that. But I, I think that, you know, the curiosity component, I think it's something that people say they've seen in me in a long time. Yeah. And it's been around for a long time. And I know that when I, when I get burnt out or I'm not feeling really inspired in the world and stuff like that, and that's usually the one that gets me back to thinking about yeah. is a curiosity part. And yeah what's, what's possible or the, being that space of curiosity of, of imagining a world that doesn't exist and then trying to build something into that. Mm. That's kind of gets me a little bit more excited.
3: Yeah. Cause ultimately we're all creators. So if we're living in possibility, I mean, the future gets exciting.
1: Yeah. We all have, we all have the ability to, to create, you know, and it's those limiting beliefs that we all carry with us that yeah. if we're willing to sort of dig into those and see what's there, it's, there's freedom on the other side of that yeah yeah and i would a younger version of me would would have heard somebody saying this what is this like hippy dippy kind of stuff yeah i know what you talking about
0: yeah because in many ways like curiosity is like downplayed it's like here's the path here are the steps yeah. this is what's been proven for success so like follow this plan and like, don't deviate but curiosity dictates that like you get to step one and you're like wait 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 but i have questions and I don't, I'm not comfortable just moving to step two. Like, what about this? Or what What if we rethought this? Maybe we can go from step one to step four. Mm-hmm. And like, so I think that we we need that. And it comes back to something that you had talked about and we had even talked about earlier in the pre-pod. Maybe it was like this power of choice and that perhaps mm-hmm. uh, choice leads to curiosity or curiosity leads to more choices. Or is it cyclical? Is it both? But mm-hmm. what what does it mean for you to like, to live into the power of choice in all of our moments and opportunities when we're being conscious beings.
1: Yeah. I I guess for me, I think the curiosity gets you out of like reaction or victimhood and stuff like that. And gets you over into the, the, the more possibility side or the the generous interpretation of others and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah.
0: So rather than just feeling a feeling or a judgment or a reaction, feeling it and then asking like the why question, why do I feel this way? Or why does this interaction or this person make me have this response reaction?
1: Yeah. There was one of the top podcast, top Ted talks is Jill Volte. And she wrote a book called, I think it's called out of your mind Okay, where she was a neuroscientist and she had a stroke on the very condition that she was one of the experts in the world on. And she, did a TED talk about it. It's one of the top ten. It's fantastic. She also wrote a book about it, and I remember reading the book because I was so moved by the by the TED talk. And in it, she says that that she was when she was in the hospital, she had access to you know the love side of her brain without the rational side for a period of time, and what a beautiful place that was to be in. Mm-hmm. It was game changing. And she said that you know she'd have some nurses that would come in and fuss over. Oh, geez, there you are again. Come on, you don't. Wasting my time and how much that just sucked her energy, and then she had one nurse that came and looked at her eyes and said, "I know you're in there. Mm. Hey, honey, how are you doing?" And the, the the love that showed up really just elevated her. But she, in that book, she said that it's completely normal and natural to be in a reaction to something that happens around you for ninety seconds. After ninety seconds, you're in choice.
2: Oh wow! Wow.
1: Right. So sometimes I'll be like, uh, get spun out of control for something, or I'll yeah. be reacting to something, and. And sometimes I'll remember that. Oh, 90 seconds. Oh, okay. I'm still in 90 and I'll count. (laughs) I'll count to 90. Yeah. And you get to 90, you're like, okay, I can stay in this, but that's my choice. Yeah. Right.
0: That's so good. Because how many people are stuck in something that happened years ago and they're still in the same place? Hurt, upset, damaged, whatever it might be. And it might've been a very real uh, important reaction in that moment to feel what they're feeling. But then if that keeps you stuck there... Like, how is that serving you?
1: So it's, you're living in the past, right? Yeah. And you're not able to see what's going on right here. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But, that,
1: think... but like the Man's Search for Meaning, I know we yes. talked about that book yeah. in the past, yeah. right? Man's Search for Meaning and Victor Frankl and the gift of that book being you don't get to choose your circumstances. You might not get to choose your circumstances, but how you respond is your choice. Such a powerful thing. And, you know, I've probably read that book four or five times. And, you know, one of the times where I was specifically in a very challenge situation.
3: Yeah. That book shifted a lot for me as well. It's, it's short and profound. Mm Um, the the idea of that even in suffering, we can own how we suffer really changed. Um, like I think even in, in business I'd be like, Oh, I'm too busy or, um, you know, various traumas that we might carry that might become our story. Um, we have we have choice in those situations mm. um yeah i i love that that part about uh being able to own how we suffer and and for victor frankl he was able to to own his suffering uh when his circumstances were were dire mm-hmm. um for those that don't know Mount search for meeting victor frankl uh he's um you know a revolutionary thinker but he's also a holocaust survivor and uh, one of the points he made um, was that when people, when the when the Nazis kind of, they, t- they took away everyone's hope in a way, uh, and they took away. He was living in a death camp, uh, I believe in Auschwitz or, or one of the the death camps, and the people that the Nazis owned their suffering. They would they would die because they they basically owned these people. But even when he was minimized to what society was see would see as nothing he was able to own how he suffered and that gave him enough life to survive the Holocaust, basically. Uh, Does that summarize it, Scott?
1: Yeah, yeah. And those that did survive saw it as something other than a death camp.
3: Right, right. Which
1: which, Which is your possibility. Yeah. Right? Yeah.
3: And I think if you can have that realization when you're living in what most would define as a death camp, I mean, if you project that in a macro sense, like it really does give to give light to living and possibility. If you can, if you can see through that, uh, I mean, yeah, I think you can see through anything.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Such an important book that I know a lot of people have read and got like powerful message out of for themselves that they refer to. Yeah. Go back to.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's very humbling. Like, you know, you think yeah. I'm having a bad day or whatever. And you're <laughs> like, okay, things aren't so bad. I, yeah. I can rise above this bad mood or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Are there, I mean, I, I feel like often when we, we get together for lunch or to, to hang out, we'll, we'll jam on books quite a bit. Mm. Are, are there other, other books that have had lasting impact that you've, Gifted to others because they influenced you in large ways, or are books that have maybe altered Mm. how you saw the world. Yes, obviously. What are they? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my
1: my wife Laura says that you show love by giving people books. Oh, (laughs)
3: that's a good line. It's a good love language. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: Right. Um. Ah. What.
3: we can circle back to you. Oh, there's,
1: um, what's one I've given away? Um, uh, in Praise of Shadows, oh, which I don't would be, know that um, it's written by a Japanese fellow, Janichiro. I remember his, his family name. It was written in the 1930s and it was translated and it was just um, his um, observations as as electricity came into the traditional Japanese house and how it changed things and he speaks about the, the western house you put lots of stuff on the walls and the japanese house is really to the walls are empty to receive the shadows mm-hmm. and the and the the observations of observing those shadows were are important
3: so funny i'm kind of laughing They're reflective at, right laughing yeah. in my head right now because yeah. i've got two young boys as you know yeah. and before we go it that we've got this game called shadow games where we go into an empty dark room and I put a flashlight on and some music and the boys just go crazy playing with their shadows. And obviously that's not the, the, you know, the, the lesson of the book, but it just, uh, you know, if you take the things off the wall and we're left with our shadows, it's, it's still back to this idea of possibility. I've got these two young boys that see, all the world in their shadows. It becomes yeah. a ninja. It becomes, you know, a power ranger It becomes like anything they want their shadow to be. It becomes yeah. in this, you know, 10 minutes before bedtime that we play shadow games. So, hmm. um, and the
1: shadows are nature, right? Yes. Yeah. The, nat- the natural light stuff like that. I-, I finished a book last week. It was called my conversations with Canadians, which is Lee Maracle. Okay. I don't know if you read that one. It's, oh, no. um, first nations writer. um, and there was a particular place in the, that I've been thinking about a lot, and you know we all know that the oral tradition with the First Nations cultures was meaningful, and they didn't have a tradition to have a written language and in that oral communications of you know of telling stories or through songs or you know potlatches giving people um a name or a story that they own that story and it it um it really left with me, and I've known this stuff before, but it really left with me and landed the, the, the impact on community when how it changed when, she went to, when you went to a written form. Mm. And when the settler showed up and heard a story, wrote it down, and started selling books on that. And the ownership over that was completely taken out of context. Mm-hmm. And how much, you know, if you're from a community that goes back 14,000 years on the same land... And you're the holder of a song that goes back that long. Like what that means to community.
2: hmm wow. Really, really
1: powerful. Yeah. And as language is lost, how much um, that is the anchor to the ancestors and to the to the land. So I've just been sitting on that the last week and just the different meaning to community when there's, when there's an oral tradition about how you have to learn how to memorize differently. hmm how you, you have different relations with each other. And there's something really quite special about that that I've been thinking about.
3: And that idea of ownership and possession, like uh, to pass down a story and to be the carrier of that story versus just writing it down and letting anybody have ownership over It's yeah. just like very profound. Similar in, in some ways, like how in many cultures, like food is passed down, like recipes are passed down. Like, uh, you know, I remember in traveling India, you'd ask, Oh, what's in this? And they would be like, Oh, my family spice mix. And like, they're not going to tell you <laughs> yeah, it's been right. passed down like a thousand years, you know? And it's yeah. like this concoction, this like alchemy of spice mm. that is special to that family that you can't get anywhere else in the world. Mm. Similar to what you're speaking of on story, how that story or that song um, you know, that has been passed down.
1: And it, how it connects you to your ancestors,
3: right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I think there's, there's a lot to, to learn from that and to oh, change our, our perceptions of, you know, ownership or, our ancestry through, through that and our own ancestry as well. One,
2: mm-hmm.
0: well, even that conversation we were having earlier about like connection to place and identity. And as like, as settler Canadians are like having these conversations about reconciliation and Mm. telling the truth, like it's tied to stories. It's tied to community. And part of, I think what we have to like reconcile with is the fact that some of these stories are in danger of being lost or many have been lost because of the work that, you know, our government and the churches did to try to eradicate indigenous populations here and that like when we focus back on those identities and those stories and start to say like these matter and have value we bring them back into our awareness and our consciousness and it starts to show up in our conversations our connections our businesses even as we start to make those things valuable and try to hold space to create opportunities for people to rediscover those connections right and i mean i think that that that's the work ahead of us for years and years to come but um, yeah that piece of work I just pulled up the book here my conversations with Canadians I mean it looks amazing reading quickly the abstract while listening to you Zach is uh, I think it's a necessary work for, for our people to engage with for sure
1: yeah it's it's a, it's an incredible book yeah it's really great
3: so how are you Scott showing up as a tiny activist these days <laughs>
1: Um how am I showing up it's can't for myself? Um how am I showing up? Um well I think like the First Nations issues that are have, have come. come to the 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 field a little bit more have um been of interest to me for sure. And yeah. you know
3: shifted some things.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know, we brought The office has chosen somebody two years ago to work with on educating people in our office about the history. That's cool. In this province, and that has been a really powerful experience for people in the office as well as me. Yeah. As well, Um, and you know, to create space for that. Yeah. And it has been really rewarding, I think, for everybody. Yeah. Um, You know, I just I just got back a couple weeks ago. I was up in Alert Bay. I got invited up by hereditary chief up there, and. Who invited me up to come up and see? He's he's built a wellness center deep in the Great Bear Rainforest for Indigenous youth, and he took four groups of three or four groups of about twenty-five students up there this past year. And I went up to meet him and receive his invitation, which was wonderful, and and to learn more about what he's doing and how you know I might be able to support him in that. And and um, you know, it's really it's really amazing the work that he's done and, and, you know, the healing of 25 people That's 25 families, every time a group comes in there. Right. It's amazing. It goes into that. And, and there's some incredible work that is being done and, and, you know, he's getting other communities in the province reaching out going, I heard you doing this wonderful work and how do you do it? And, you know, can we learn from that? So yeah. there, there's some really sort of inspiring things that's happening that might not be in the public realm right now. and, yeah you know i'd like to find a way to support this individual in that community and cuz there's some you know when you think about like man search for meaning and, and mm-hmm. that book yes you know there's some you don't get to choose your circumstances and when you look at residential schools and everyone's at the effect of that it's um there's incredible healers within that community because they have to be mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was really, it was really a gift to go up there and sort of learn what he's, what Coyote is doing and to start wondering and being curiosity of like, you know, how can I, can I support this? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm in that space right now of exploring like what, um, what can I do to support him and what he's trying to do up
3: there? That's cool. I love that. I think that's something that we can all, all think about and work on. Um, it made me think um, our our episode that actually came out this week was with uh, a woman named Maya Wickler. Oh. And um, I re- remember her telling a story of, you know, she wanted to, to be on the front line to help tell stories and she didn't know where to start. And uh, you guys helped support her.
1: Yeah, she was... Did she tell you that story? Like uh, she was up north, and yeah, we, yeah, she didn't totally.
3: tell it on the podcast, yeah,
1: that was like Kyle actually had a relationship with her that went okay. back a few years, and she'd wanted to um have some extra time up north, and the people that were funding her to go up there wouldn't do it, so yeah, you know Kyle asked me if it was okay, and that we did that a few years ago, but Maya is actually one of the people that that recommended to my office yeah. QOD and Nawalakwa, okay, which is the the wellness center that he's built up there, Oh, that's awesome, yeah.
3: Yeah, she's she's a for SA eh, Maya.
1: She's incredible. Yeah. She's an incredible woman, yeah.
3: right? We'll have you'll have to tune into the episode that is out now. Oh, yeah. that's funny that <laughs> came out. As you're saying she's that wonderful. all these like connections were going off in my brain.
1: Yeah, she's wonderful. and Doing really important work and really so, out there yeah. living it, right? Yeah, uh, oh, yeah. Really yeah. living it.
0: Yeah, she was here, we recorded and then the next day or two she was off to Scotland for the Cop twenty six, like 26, UN. You know, yeah, right. she's yeah. like,
3: can, can we reschedule? Because <laughs> I have to go. I just the
0: to, UN has invited me to Scotland. We're like, I guess they're more yeah, important. Yeah, <laughs> right. I guess we
3: can reschedule. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, very inspired by her. Um, maybe I mean I I think one thing that I found in my life when I became a father, I became more reflective of how I interacted with you know the bigger picture of, of the world, how Mm. my choices had impact because I wanted my choices to create a better world, not a worse one. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know you've in the last year you've become a dad. Mm. Um, can we talk about kind of fatherhood and, and lessons of masculinity and, and how, um, when you have a kid, you start to make decisions beyond yourself yeah so what's what's been being a dad like <laughs> how's that going how's that changed you
1: yeah it's been pretty great yeah yeah it's been pretty great I, when i met laura i don't know five years ago on our first date one of the first things she said was i definitely don't want to have kids no way <laughs> yeah
3: <laughs> <laughs> and, and i was like okay now you know i i i,
1: I looked at it You know, being in a relationship and having a family is limiting, not expansive Mm. for most of my life. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And then we both started unpacking that kind of together and started wondering, like, okay, you know, your the meaning you put on, like, relationship, um, being a parent and fatherhood. We started unpacking some of that stuff and wondering, like, okay, that's how everyone else does it. But, like, if you were going to do it your way, how would you do it? And... Possibility, Yeah. Well, it, well, there are two. Cause I remember, well, a meaningful one was, you, you see the movie call me by your name.
3: No, yes. No, oh my gosh. It. The monologue at the end is yes. that, that I watched that like a dozen times. Yeah. I just rewinded it. And I was like, Finn was like five months old and I was like crying, watching it over and over again.
1: Yeah. So there, it's a sort of a coming of age boy in Northern Italy one summer. And he has a range of experiences. Dates a boy, dates a girl the things and there's a scene at the end where the father sits down with him and says and has this father-son conversation with him that basically frees him up and said eh, something may have happened something may not have happened and you know it'd be a shame if you didn't you know follow your heart in life and try some things out and said you know i might not have and what a waste that was right and just really ha- held space and had this conversation which was like oh it was really <laughs> touching yeah and i to that and i'm like Whoa, that's a version of fatherhood. Yeah. I wonder if I could do that.
2: Mm. Yeah, And then that
1: kind of inspired me, excited me. I was like, wow, that could be kind of cool. Yeah. That opened myself up. And then, you know, Laura and I sort of started talking about it and our relationship developed and we were both doing our own work and stuff like that. And then got to a place where it was like, you want to try this? Yeah. And, and that's you, kind of how it all.
3: And there you go. Yeah. Your dad. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah.
0: What's the biggest lesson you think you've learned so far? If you were, if you were to distill it to one thing,
1: that mm. it's complicated. It's not just one thing. <laughs>
3: yeah, for sure. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like. There's moments where you you sit there and you see, you wonder about like, wow, I was the baby once, and my dad was sitting here.
3: Did it change or, like, how you one. saw saw your father? Oh, did you changed. have to unpack any?
1: Well, there's definitely a greater appreciation. Yeah. For oh, yeah. what for what's involved in, you know, becoming pregnant, seeing the pregnancy through, having a child, not sleeping, yes, you know, supporting your partner and stuff like that. There's a different different appreciation of like, oh, I get it, now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, <laughs> and then you know, seeing it through and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, it just, yeah, it just, it's it's more like connecting the dots. I think Ooh, yeah, there's so be... just like. You see how interconnected stuff was and stuff, and I'd I'd had through a series of events I had a, a serendipitous conversation with Brian Adams, the musician, because okay. I was working on something to celebrate Greenpeace's 50th anniversary, and I reached out to him asking for some thoughts and advice and stuff like that, because I know he's a big environmentalist and. And whatnot. So I, I and he invited me to the studio in Gastown. So I went one day and and we chatted about that, about Greenpeace and stuff like that. And then he said to me, "You got any kids?" I was like, "Um, and we we were pregnant before, but we lost the child halfway through, and it was challenging." And mm-hmm. and and I said, "Well," and we hadn't had the child we have now. And, and yeah. I said, "Well, uh, do you want to hear?" It? And he said, "Yeah." And so I told him. You know, the story of losing a child. So we ended up having a conversation for half an hour, 45 minutes about fatherhood. And, you know, I'm 54, 50, as of yesterday. Oh, hey. happy Yay. birthday. There but I ended up having a chat with him and he didn't become a father till he was in his 50s. Yeah. And he said to me, he said, you know, you'll try again. And, and which we obviously did. But he said, you know, you, you know, it's not like having a kid when you're in your 20s where you're, you have lots of energy in your soccer and you have to worry about, like, your career and other things like that. And he said, you have such different gifts to give the child when you're later in life. You have so much more wisdom. You have patience and stuff like that. And you know, it was really quite a meaningful conversation because I had other people, like, would say, oh, don't you wish we had one when you're younger and da, da, da. And the answer No. Yeah. Like yeah. that takes away from me being present right now for what is happening, mm. you know, and, and, uh, enjoying, no. enjoying the gift that it is and stuff like that. And, and there is, there is truth to what he said. There is, yeah. there is, um, there is a patience, there is a wisdom that comes with age that you don't have when you're you're much younger having kids and stuff for like sure. that. Yeah. And, and I see that of like, and also choosing to step back and work a little bit to be, present for the birth and young family life and you know it's a real privilege to be able to do that and
0: yeah which when you're kind of in the thick of it you you're trying to do it all and like we can't do everything well Mm. all the time right and so there's always going to be a sacrifice whether it is work or whether it is that family life and i think too often it's easy to sacrifice family to work Mm. because you have to keep going and uh, when you're s- setting it up, entrepreneur, whatever, like you, you have those responsibilities and you have the responsibilities of other people even. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's like the whole world demands everything from you from that 25 to like 40 right, age right. zone. And that's where most people are showing up and having kids and yeah. being like, oh man, there's a whole lot of stuff going on here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. And then we think of his life. He was born in what, 20, he, January 1st, 2021. Right. So, you know, he'll, he'll live, he might turn the next century. And you yeah. think about like, well, Greta will be up talking about like, of course, you don't care about 2050 because you're not going to be there. Yeah. She says to a lot of you know people, but I will be. That's why I care. Yeah. yeah. And when you have a child, you think about, you know, the, you know, the decades when they will be there.
2: Yeah,
0: for sure.
1: And that changes a little bit. and
0: Perspective shift.
3: Yeah. It gets yeah. a little more real, too, when you start to like, like Greta was saying, when you think about climate change when you think about it beyond your lifetime for your kid's lifetime and beyond their lifetime, their kid's lifetime, it really kind of trickles down to your daily decisions pretty quickly. Yeah. Like, are you participating in a world that is making it worse for your kids or better? And, uh, how, how do your decisions reflect that? It's choice.
1: Yeah. And you know, and then some people show up and they're like, you know, how could you raise a kid in this world? It's going to be horrible. Like, what are you doing and stuff like that? and, there was somebody asked that to the musician Nick Cave.
2: Like,
3: oh, I love Nick Cave.
1: He's great, right? So good. He does the red hand files that he sends out like once, a, whatever, a couple of weeks. Oh, and I don't, somebody I don't asked don't him out. that. What's that? I don't follow oh, that. I it's either. great. And they asked him a question. He responds to it and I'm writing it down. Yeah, and somebody wrote in like the world's gonna awful right now. It's gonna be horrible. Like you know, I'm thinking about having a kid, but it's gonna be an awful world to ring it in. And yeah, he responded and say that you know what a great time to bring a child into the world. Like you get to teach them. They have choice and how to respond to all these things that are happening around us.
3: Yeah. It's almost like a life of intention versus being passive. I I think if we're, you know, when I think of my childhood, it was a great childhood, but in many ways I was like a passive, I was a passenger and a lot of, you know, everyone played soccer. So I played soccer. Everyone did this. So I did that. Like, I think there's a lot more intention with, with, um, the lessons are the choices that we're making with children now than, than are than my childhood at least.
1: Yeah. I mean, my child's 11 months old. Yeah. He doesn't know what COVID is. <laughs> yeah. But you know, if we start showing up in an anxiety because about COVID, yeah. we teach him what anxiety looks like. You're going to pass that fear, down. fear. Yeah. Right. So if you, if you think you're bringing up an awful world and you teach him, it's an awful world. You end up on the, on the, on the side of the bleachers with people that think the world's taking away from you and there are no possibilities, and yeah. what an awful place it is, yeah, so yeah. I think that was Nick Hib's point It was you can raise a child and teach them that they're in choice, no matter and and you know man search for meaning that's the whole point is that you you don't get to choose your circumstance, but you get to choose how you respond, mm-hmm. yeah, and in that response is the world will provide more possibilities for you totally. through the curiosity so after yeah. your 90 seconds. <laughs> after, that's right, after your 90 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> no, right. the, the 90 second ones, I feel it gives me peace knowing that I can be be like, oh my God, yeah. for 90 seconds. Yeah, that's totally.
0: Okay. There's permission. There's yeah. permission to respond authentically, totally. humanly, totally, right? with all of our emotion, but then yeah. take a breath and re- recognize the choices in front of you. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's yeah. so great. And that's really empowering. Yeah. It's empowering and freeing in and of itself, right? Yeah. yeah. 90 second rule. I'm going to hold on to that.
3: Have you read mm. Mel Robbins or listened to any Mel Robbins? No, I haven't. She she breaks it down to five seconds. So, really? So she's like, she calls it her high five. So if you can take a moment where you're any moment mm-hmm. and just basically count down from five to one, yeah, it um, triggers in your brain going from um, being a passenger to taking action. And it kind of you by the time you start counting 5 to 1 you you've already committed to that action so it's already it's already happening mm. uh so that's her little hack it's just counting from 5 to 1 mm. to to put put us into action and it sounds silly but i like started to do it a little bit like even like waking up my kids will come in at like You know, five, five thirty before I'm like ready to actually wake up, and I'm Mm. like, oh, five more minutes, and then I'll just count down from five, and I'm like, okay, I'm good. Let's go, let's go downstairs, let's go play, (laughs) and it kind of triggers me from wanting to like be in bed and resenting waking up to being in action and ready to play with the kids, and that's like a small example, but I think it actually does work.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think there's times where both Laura and I get exhausted, and we just have the ability to. To say like, can I take fifty minutes to yeah. to lie down and it doesn't mean fifty minutes to be on my phone. Yeah, yeah. It means fifteen minutes to be in in peace with self. Yeah. And, and it's amazing how much just that fifty minutes resets things and what oh, you gather to be able to come back and be refreshed and yeah, give it to the other person.
3: Gotta keep the axe sharp, right? Totally. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise you're not gonna cut down no trees. Yeah. Not that we wanna cut down any more trees, but <laughs> yeah. Um have you learned anything? Um, you about partnership, relationship through having a child. Has that changed?
1: Um, the concept of intimacy. Yes. Yeah. I had a friend, um, Omar Arbel, he gave me advice. Yeah. And oh. the advice was that, um, you know, the, the, the giving of birth is a rite of passage for both people. Right. if you see it as that. Yes. And he said that most of most men come into a place and after the birth they they see themselves as sexual beings and they think that's the intimacy. Yeah. And he said you know many men will focus on well why isn't it like before? He said you're missing the the new opportunity for intimacy because it's not physically sexual. Mm. And there's a different kind of intimacy that's available after you have the child. Yeah. And I totally yeah great advice. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Hm.
3: Yeah. I've, I've listened to a lot of Esther Perel and she has like similar, like how we define intimacy oh, on, yeah. only as sex for a lot of people, but it's, it can be a conversation. It can be, you know, Oh look, it can be making dinner. It can be many things. It doesn't it, have to be lying be. in bed
1: with your wife and new baby. Yeah. Yeah. Like there, yeah. just like what's more intimate, what's more intimate than that. Yeah. yeah.
3: Right. You
0: need to recognize the evolution of intimacy from like whatever stage of a relationship or connection we have with, with a person and how that is going to change over time, regardless of children or not, Mm. as we age biologically, physical physiologically we change. And Mm. so our, our desires and needs are met and expressed differently. Right. And yet Hollywood and all this shows us this one dimensional trope of like what intimacy ought to be. And it's, it's so misleading and it's so unfortunate because people then are trying to meet a need of intimacy through a mechanism that might not be working anymore. Right. And then how frustrating that is. But again, to be like open to it and understanding it and seeing it and learning it and experiencing it is Mm -hmm. like so important. But yeah, that's a, that's a big one. And there's no, there's no like playbook that they give you at the hospital (laughs) here, here, how everything, here's how everything's going to be different now. Yeah. It's kind of like being intentional, paying attention, reflecting conversing and seeing yeah, how
3: is this different for us going forward. That's good. Well, do you know, do you got any more questions? Oh man. (laughs) Is there anything we haven't asked you, Scott? Oh, probably. Yeah. That's right. (laughs) Um, I've got a few, few questions and then we like Mm. to kind of wind down with some rapid fire. Mm. Um, the idea of spirituality, mm. uh, the experience of spirituality, uh, just, you know, you, you, I see you as an explorer and a seeker, whether that's in business or, mm. or where else in life. Um, what is seeking spirituality look like for you? S- seeking a spiritual experience, uh, a human with our human existence.
1: Yeah. Um, Hmm. Uh, I think it's, 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 you know, my wish for my child is that he can discover who he is yeah and be able to express that yeah in his own way and stuff like that. And I, I think that gets to kind of the, the core of it of, you know, I used to be much more math science when I was younger. Yeah. And, uh, I remember taking a self-development workshop where the Friday night Gila, the woman went around and said, what well, do you have to let go of? Be- what do you have to fully let go of to be fully present for the weekend? And I'm like, Oh my God, what's my answer? What's my answer? I got to have a good answer. <laughs> yeah. It came around to me and I just, it just came out and I said, I have to let go of that I'm a hippy dippy workshop. Yeah. Cause you know, that the tools that I learned that weekend were life changing and you take them for the rest of your life. Yeah. And they're all tools of, of unpacking your stuff and self discovery. And so I think the spiritual part is that the answers are inside you mm-hmm. and that it's, it's, Unpacking those alone and in the presence of a partner, yeah, that becomes really quite interesting.
3: I love that. Yeah, giving space for—I mean, I, this is the theme: giving space to what's possible from within.
1: Yeah, from within, right? Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. That's cool. Hmm. Yeah,
0: I love that, and that—that that I think we often put so much stock in like the answers that someone else can give us, or. You know, people travel and spend all kinds of money to go and sit at the feet of a guru or pursue a person or a religion or whatever it might be. Mm. And all the while they're missing probably what all of those people are pointing them to, which is back to yourself, and self-reflection and not comparison against the other, but who am I now versus who I want to be or who I have been. Yeah. just being present with ourselves in that moment, non-judgmental but like evaluative. Mm-hmm. Who am I and how can I grow and progress from here? Yeah, that's key. And then to be able to offer that to our children is mm, so important. Mm, and model mm. it probably is the best thing that we can do. Well, right? modeling is the, that's the right? And the then, part. Yeah, yeah.
3: Cool. Should we do a little bit of rapid fire? Let's,
0: let's do it. Let's do it.
3: All right. I mean, our rapid fire is never that rapid. Fire, it's, it's more like uh less linear and all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> um, for, for someone that's looking to start a business, sorry, say it again, for someone that's looking to start a business, it's the year's 2021. 20, I think. Uh-huh. Okay.
2: Okay. For any, a few
3: more months, any like bite sized takeaways that you have for someone that's looking to take a leap or not where to start, not sure where to start.
1: Um. what do you want? Okay. I would ask yourself that question. What do you want?
3: That's a good one. Mm. Good. Great place to start. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good job. It's hard to come up with that. See, you got the nuggets, Scott. <laughs> you got think about that one for 10 years now.
0: All right. I got <laughs> one for you.
1: Obviously native shoes. Uh-huh.
0: They're, they're great. They're comfortable. What's your go-to pair?
3: Go to native shoe.
1: Oh, I have a Jeff pair of Jefferson. Jefferson. Yeah. So
3: I oh go good. to nice, yeah. Um, as much as it's important to live in the present, I like I see you as like a, a future thinking, future thinking person. Mm. Um, what do you think the future? Okay, these are kind of rapid fire in a in a sentence or so. What is the future of business? The future of money? And the future of art?
1: Future of business. Future of money. Future of art. <sighs> Well, they're all kind of converging. If you go to New York, they're all kind of converging right now. Yeah. Art, NFTs, money, business.
3: Um, Maybe that's the answer.
1: Well, th- there's a version of it that's converging. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Whether, how that's going to play out and, you know, I mean, ultimately there's a human experience that's available to us all. Yeah. And, and I feel at some point the the, the idea that the business has become more important than the humans and I think it needs to move back a little bit to the, supporting the human experience. Change that hierarchy. Yeah. And I think that art in its best form is questioning and challenging of the human experience or something just outrightly beautiful that makes you in you know, a feeling of awe. And, um, you know, art has become somewhat of a commodity. There's a, i I've mean, listened to, um, Leonard Cohen. It happens to the heart. This oh, song. yeah, Such a good song. And he says, um, um, Ah, oh, what was it? He? he speaks about art. Can, what was the original line? Ah, um, oh my God. I can't believe I forgot. I was listening to it earlier. You
3: didn't <laughs> he, know if I here. it. He yeah.
1: It, it's, um... Oh, I was, I was always working steady, but I never called it art. Yeah. It was uh, the oldest convention, like the horse before the cart. Oh, that's right? good. Right? But we're at a time now where we need to go to art school to be an artist. Yeah. Like, it's become an employable profession right yes What's and there's beauty there's beauty in training for something and learning yeah. it and stuff like that but you know Corita Kent's another artist it was like we never called it art it was just what we did
2: yeah
3: yeah right? yeah I love that
1: and there's something kind of beautiful with that so you know where you know there's always a convergence of you know business money and the arts and stuff like that and yeah. I don't know I think there's like there's some incredible artists out there like Ai Weiwei would be one of them yeah Like Banksy for he takes the piss out of the art world is kind of humorous there. Yeah. Um, and there's others that do really wonderful thing as well. And you know the the, the ones I think we appreciate the most are there's a strong message or or in it that is removed from commerce. Yep. That is really important. Mm. And the purity of it, right? Yeah. That is kind of wonderful. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you have these you have cryptocurrencies going on, NFTs. You have yeah. these digital assets that don't seem to be backed by really anything. And yeah,
3: have you started to I get into know. that space at all? Not really. I no. mean, I, obs- I
1: observe them and stuff. And, yeah. You know, they've, but I don't know. I've I, like, it's what's interesting. What's the, the human experience, and do they enrich in the human experience? And yeah, does our does does the social media stuff enrich the human experience, or is it taking it away? Yeah. You know, not so obvious right now. Right. Yeah. yeah. Not so obvious at all.
0: Yeah. The metaverse. Right. <laughs> the digital, the digital lives becoming more. Yeah. Like, and... are,
1: are we the product or are we our own experience? Right. Yeah. And that's the, the challenge going on. I was like to be internally referenced versus object referenced. Yeah. Right. And there's a the battle. There's people that want us to be object reference that you are your car you are your job title you are your bank account stuff like that right yeah
0: yeah it's signaled from it changed from like this idea of like virtue signaling with whatever you're wearing driving whatever it might be places you're going to now it's like online Hmm. and it's got this weird it's got this weird trajectory to it where people are valuing that online life in a way like more yeah. Then what's go- what's going on in reality? But anyway, we're digressing from our rapid fire.
3: I know yeah. our rapid's never so <laughs> rapid. <laughs> it's just, we should just call it random fire. Random. The more maybe one. more one. random questions that yeah, don't follow the path of the last, you know, hour of conversation. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what's what's the future of Scott Hawthorne? What's next for you?
1: Oh, I'm going to continue to enjoy like new family life. Yeah, maybe we'll try to add to it even. Yeah.
3: Nice. We'll see. Right on.
1: Um continuing to lead with curiosity for self and yeah i've got some other ideas i'm sort of working on now but yeah to lead to lead a balanced life that's focused around the family i think that's what's important to me right now cool i love uh, that yeah. um, and to surround myself with people that are equally you know taking ownership over their own development and and participate in that conversation for themselves and mm-hmm. can support me in that
3: yeah do you see yourself like you mentioned that your your family took you all over Southeast Asia and Australia and New Zealand and all these places, and do you see yourself um, doing the similar thing with with your with your family with your son kind of exposing them and teaching them about the world so they see beyond you know our existence here in this corner of the world
1: yeah, I'd love to I yeah, think, you know we'll see how COVID plays up for know, you know, right? the world and stuff like that, but I think one of the most important things is to be exposed to other people and other ways of doing things. And we've lost a lot of languages in the world. And with that comes ways of seeing the world, right? And, and I think to be exposed to other people and cultures is other ways of seeing the world. And there's huge value in that.
3: Can, can you talk on the loss of nuance and how we can maybe change that narrative?
1: Yeah. The loss of nuance. Um, see why it happened because there's so many distractions now right there's Mm -hmm. so many things to be distracted by and i maybe that's one of the gifts of covid it just forces us to slow down if we're going to go through another round of lockdowns or something like that it's yeah you know what are are we gonna we did sourdough last time yeah right (laughs) you know (laughs) sourdough (laughs) zoom or yeah you know what's the what's the learning we didn't take from last time that we'll get a chance to do this time maybe Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah yeah seeing the opportunity in it right yeah. Opportunity rather than yeah. the, the loss, just the loss focusing on all the things we can't do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. You talked about your love of all things, Japan, uh, Japanese yeah. culture. Here we are in Vancouver. As much as we would love to see, you know, authentic yeah, place based kind of cuisine and all that. Yeah. Go to Japanese spot here in Vancouver. If you're going to go grab some,
1: something to eat. Oh, um, well, there was a coffee place that was my favorite for a while. Okay. Iksu Art Park. It was Hastings and Carol. It was a young Japanese couple that was from Kansai area outside Osaka. Yeah. And, but they just had a baby month ago, so they're closed right now. Okay. So he, he made, uh, in the spirit of shokunin, which is like to be an expert in something by dedicating your life to it, he would fit into that category like Jiro Dreams of Sushi. But his thing was coffee, and he did three coffees.
3: Amazing. What's the call that I need to write this down. Iksu Art Park.
1: I K T S U. R P O K. I think that's what it is. Yeah, okay. Kento Enrique, amazing coffee. Uh, for food, where do we go? Sometimes we get Miku for some of theirs. Um, where else to go? Uh, Dosanko, which is more comforty food. Okay. On, in the downtown east side. Cool. cool. They do uh, om rice and other stuff like that. So. Nice.
3: Yeah. Anything lighting you up on Netflix these days?
1: Oh, we've, um, Ted Lasso. Oh, yes. So good. So Did so that, good. Ted Lasso. Did Ted Lasso. Uh, watch the morning show a little bit.
3: Yeah. I haven't watched that one yet. No. Check it out. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: Jennifer Aniston, right? In that one. Jennifer yeah. Aniston, yeah.
1: Reese Witherspoon That's and right. Steve, um, Corral. Oh, okay. What a cast. Yeah. <laughs> right. He's a, he does they all, yeah. Super interesting. So it we is. watched that a little bit. Queen's Gambit a year or so ago. Yeah. That was good. But we haven't had a chance to watch much T V in the last Yeah, it's hard. It's hard with well, you know, you can't it's hard to watch movies now because you don't get two hours. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> know, and right? if you do, you fall asleep. <laughs> that's right. <Yeah. laughs> At least I do. That's right. What are you guys watching?
3: Ooh, right now actually we've got a few shows on the go right now. We're watching Succession, uh, Yellowstone, and Narcos. <laughs> so oh. Oh, those wow. three. But Ted Lasso's definitely been my like uh mm. you know, my favorite oh, that's... over the last couple of years. I just like Cherished every episode of that. Mm. Such a feel good show.
0: Yeah. We started Yellowstone. It's, it's, I don't know. It's interesting. It's intense. I don't know. Yeah. Mm. I'm not sold on it yet to be, to be fully honest.
3: Succession, but like with like a Western kind of cowboy vibe. Yeah. Dean, should we land her? Let's land her. Okay. Okay.
0: Last question. We, uh, we created this podcast. We wanted to have amazing, uh, and inspirational conversations with cool people and uh called it a little more good because we want to see that created in the world but we always want to ask our guest what does that mean to you what does Mm. a little more good mean to you scott
1: uh i think it means not getting overwhelmed by the bigger problems in the world and think you have to solve all of them today which gets into this tiny activism thing a little bit actually so it's it's doing something that's small and incremental that you can do today that becomes that. That might become a building block to opening up a path for something bigger than you'd even thought you were capable of.
0: Mm. Right on! I love that.
3: Mm. Well, Scott, thank you for living in possibility, and mm-hmm. thank you for taking the time to meet us in our cozy corner in Steveston, and you know appreciate uh, you and the space that you're, you're holding, mm-hmm. and and the possibilities that uh, that you create just by planting seeds in the world.
1: Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to be here. My privilege.
3: Right nice Thanks, guys.
0: Thanks. All right. Well, there you go, Scott Hawthorne, the man, the myth, the legend.
3: He is a legend. Yeah, really, really is. Yeah, Scott's Scott's definitely one of my role models. It was cool to sit down and connect. Yeah. Uh, he's someone I've always looked up to in the business world, and I've uh, leaned on, you know, over the years for guidance or mm-hmm. or you know an extra opinion over the year. So it was cool to to sit down and kind of unpack uh you know what's got him to where he is today.
0: Yeah, yeah, no super cool. My first time uh meeting him. Um and just yeah, totally struck by just the way the way he kinda like carries himself and the genuine, like very like care filled person. Like you just feel like there's lots of intention and uh he's like a really deep listener and Kind of has this like wisdom, like yep. sagely wisdom about him, but this like curiosity that is just always like wanting to learn and grow. And it's a cool mix. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. really enjoyed that
3: conversation. I think that's what we're all aspiring to be to be like uh, the student and the teacher in a way. Like, you totally. Know? Yeah. Like know that we're always learning, but uh, be open to passing down or on what we've learned mm-hmm. uh, on our journey. Yeah. That's cool. All right. Well, um, if you enjoyed that one, you know, please, as we always uh, ask, you know, please like, review, subscribe wherever you uh, listen to your podcast. Mm-hmm. It goes a long way, and uh, you know, the old algorithm of the uh, interwebs and uh, allowing uh, you know the good word to get out to, to more people. So, yeah, thanks great. for tuning in and making it this far. Uh, we got some. Great guest lineup for this year, so stay tuned. We've got a lot of uh, exciting conversations coming your way.
0: Yeah, really excited about what uh, what's ahead. So stay tuned, and um, we look forward to sharing it all
3: with you. All right. Thanks, everyone.
0: Peace.